Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellish Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and anybody else who happens to agree to show up. Um, whether you're a bourbon fan, a geek, a casual observer, or someone just floating through this channel, I hope you find what we have to say interesting. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists. And if you can't find me on one, please send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com, and I'll try to get that taken care of. I also generally live stream the recording of these episodes on YouTube on Wednesday nights, and you can find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod or Twitter with the same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's a place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. Today is Wednesday, August the 31st, and I am super excited to have a guest joining me. I have Aaron from Nevada Agency Distilling. They create smoke wagon <coughs> bourbon and a few other things. Um, looks like he's moving right to the most important thing and making sure there's something to drink there. So um, it's a good place to start, right? So I've got oh. uh, a couple of bottles Hello. of, of that are mine. Uh, Sorry, that, I, thought um, you, I thought you'd let me know when uh, you were yeah. getting me in. <laughs> no, you're fine. They, yeah, was, so you, you're absolutely fine. I'm I'm working on a um, uncut, unfiltered. This is batch 39. Oh, wow, so had, an old one. I've had this around for a while. So I, I So I live in far western Kentucky. And okay. um, smoke wagon products are few and far between in this particular port part of the state. Um, and I'm I've sure been, I've been on the bandwagon for you know a long, long time. And um, actually, when you first kind of came to my attention, I was in a bourbon uh, online bourbon club and you did a single barrel pick with them. And then it was a very, very infamous single barrel pick. Um, oh, the and, bourbon enthusiast one. Yeah. Yeah. Man, can so, you believe that that'll be. That'll be three, three years, years in December. Absolutely three years. Yeah. And I so I milked. So, you know, the thing happened. There were 40 some odd bottles that were left. Right. I, I remember I, that. Like, like I, had, I got one of the 46 or 46 or 43 or whatever it was. Right. I had that. And I had that up until last spring. Um, there was a, a meetup with some other people because it was what I, like you have bottles of whiskey. I'll share just about anything with anybody. But that particular bottle had some. uh um story to it some provenance you know if you were if you were you know french did, did you, know, you uh, did you did you get one of the second barrels i got for him for James? I, no i didn't i, I was okay. out of their bourbon club by that time because okay. you know I, I spent way too much money on whiskey and was like i gotta get out of some clubs and save a few dollars um but i i milked that when i finally you know i got enough whiskey nerds around that i brought it out and they knew what it was and so there's a degree of appreciation and i actually was saving it because when i started this podcast i had like you know a list of 10 people i'm like if i can get these 10 people i don't ever have to record another episode because this will be it and your name was on the list and i was like i'm gonna save two ounces of it so that way i have it and then uh apparently uh historical john decided to drink those two ounces at some point in time which is the purpose <laughs> of it so i don't have it but i have some of this and i've got some uncut the younger and there's some small batch that's over here and there's some oh, cool. straight and um i try to keep them around as as much as possible but that was kind of a thing that launched you into a platform maybe i mean you guys were around before that that is that was definitely that was definitely what i shouldn't say how i hand you know there there's there's I mean, I would say how I handled it was what directed everyone towards the Instagram and the, the Instagram had already been like sort of established with content. So, mm -hmm. so, you know, cause I, I don't know how many members uh, James has now, but back then it was like a hundred thousand followers on Instagram. Right. And, um, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know 
he actually just sent an email to like the info at nevada distilling.com email address and so i put him on a list and we i got to him and i sent him an email and i didn't even know he had an instagram until he tagged the the um you know smoke wagon mm-hmm. with the sample bottles i sent him but yeah uh i would say that was i mean there was a couple defining things the, um the 2017 to show you how much the industry has changed in <laughs> like five short years in mm. 2017 uh uncut unfiltered and the private barrel i submitted which i don't submit any rare stuff anymore i only submit the core expressions um they both won a double gold and we were one of three brands that year that won double two double golds for a non-finished you know just straight bourbon and it was huge and then mm-hmm. Uh, I I ran into um, the head of Brown Spears for Pinot Ricard um, in Las Vegas. Actually, he was at a Las Vegas uh, event and he requested to meet me. Um, Steve Beal, you know, Whiskey Hall of Famer, same, same he because he was a judge. The, both these guys were San Francisco World Spears Competition judges. Uh, I think they still are, but in 2017 they were. And they were like, man, you are, you know, because Pinot Ricard owned the Seagram's plant before LDI obviously you know steve beale worked for diageo diageo owned seagrams and so they were like we know what you're working with here and this is something really special what you're doing with uncut and filter is amazing and everybody was talking about it and then i did a event up in reno and the western regional manager for compass box was there and he was a san francisco judge and you know nobody knew who i was well still people don't know who i <laughs> no, no, I am in a lot of cases, but he was like, you know, he saw I was out all the time doing the events, doing everything mm-hmm. myself. And he saw me behind the smoke wagon table. He's like, Oh, you're a smoke wagon. I was like, Yeah. And he, he said, Oh man, everybody, everybody in San Francisco is talking about uncut and filtered. He was like, in a world where now it's obvious that all these brands, even as early as 2017, are just trying to hop on the bourbon train and just taking source bourbon. He's like, it is obvious that you are doing something special, that you are taking juice from indiana and doing something and you're actually trying to create something we can tell by the flavor profile and everybody's talking about it so that was like as far as the industry that 2017 was when we really started like you know people in the industry were talking about uh, especially on cut unfiltered and then yeah to what was that it was december 2019 man december yep. 2019 it bled uh, over into january a little bit the yeah the, the, the whole thing and, and i'll say um if I were to ever, you know, I, I work in a product industry with software. And and if you're looking for a person who wants to represent their brand, the way that you reacted to that particular situation, I don't think that smoke wagon ends up where it is today. I think it ends up somewhere good because you guys were already pumping a good product, but you kind of exemplified. I stand behind my brand. I stand behind what is right. I stand behind making sure people are made whole in a way that they need to be made whole. Like, people just latched onto it, at least in my perspective. And I think it took what may have been a, a whiskey well, brand that might've been like for whiskey nerds and made it like, now it's this mass appeal thing. Yeah. I mean, for, for sure. Because one of the main comments I got was nobody has stood up for the, the whiskey or, you know, the bourbon community before they would always just mm-hmm. be like, Oh, well, sorry, you know, sorry about that. And, because of my life experiences i mean i just remember when that was happening 
and I told my, you know, so, so the chain of events was the distributor tells me this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what, <laughs> what are you talking <laughs> about? And so the whole reason it happened was K and L who, who the barrel was supposed to go through. They posted on their website. We're getting the bourbon enthusiast barrel mm-hmm. with a picture of a bottle. So it had like the proof where the ABV, it had the barrel number, it had everything. And so when when Naz saw that, which he apparently, I guess he's rebranded now. Um, he you'll never be able to rebrand past that, but you know, I understand what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, well, his store is gone, you know, but mm-hmm. um, his websites are whatever. But um, so the distributor told so so he contacted the distributor and he said, Hey, do you have this? And the distributor said, Yes, I do. He's like, well, do you have a PO for it? Because California law is, mm-hmm. and everything, uh, that is what happened. Right. And then he said to the distributor, I know the law because this is what I do. I know that Eureka can't take all their barrels. So when I see Eureka, the restaurant chain, if you're not in California, mm-hmm. you might not be familiar with them. When they get a private pick, I take the rest because I know they don't have a PO for everything. And so he was bragging about it. And he thought that like this was, would be perceived. Actually, I shouldn't guess what he thought. Right. All I know is that that communication with the distributor made it seem like that he thought that this was something that was enviable. Like, haha, I figured out a way to, you know, do this. Mm-hmm. And the thing was, man, I remember sitting there going, he shouldn't do i was like i didn't want to have any communication with him because a he's a california retailer mm-hmm. and so the amount of communication i could have with california law with a retailer is very limited mm-hmm. and um i was like we just gotta be uh, clinical and that was the conversation that i had with my business partner who used to be an attorney and i said look we have to do something here because mm-hmm. so so when it finally went down uh, we got an attorney the distributor and i because i was going to say well let me bring it back and the attorney was like, no, it's not yours anymore. Once, you know, once it transfers out of your bond, it is the distributor's possession. You can't do anything. Like, I couldn't do anything. Right. And he told the, the distributor, he's like, you can't do anything either. You have to give them 80%. And so once we understood where we were as far as, you know, legally, it was like, man, well, this is it. <laughs> this is what we have to do. And so I told mm-hmm. the store and I told James. And he told all his members and the direct messages started coming in. Like, how could you let this happen? Right. And I told my business partner, I was like, this is not good. I said, I can see where this is going to go. I can see where it was going to go. Like from the beginning. And I I was like, we need to be proactive. We need to let these people know that we did everything we could and that we feel bad about it, which is genuine. You know, it's like, it was like one of the things. It was evident that it was genuine. There's no concern about that. You know, it's like one of those things when when I talk about um, like the how the brand, you know, was built and you know connecting with people on on Instagram and things like that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is not like some you know, okay, here's our business model. What you're gonna do right. is like talk to people. And, you know, it's like it's it's just uh, what I feel is right. And um, and even with my distributors now, like everything's based on relationships and gut instinct. And if I like people and if I want to deal with them, because I just you know. I'm not going to deal with anybody I don't like. I'm not going to deal with big corporations that are painting my ass. I'm not going to. And um, so anyhow, so he said, just 
don't just tell the facts, you know. He's like, don't talk shit about Naz. Just mm-hmm. explain the process to everybody and let them know where we are. And and and, and so I did, and I was like totally stressed out because I was like, <laughs> man, I don't want Bourbon Studios people to hate us. <laughs> like, I, I really like James. Um, you yeah. know, it's funny because that for that barrel, I shipped him samples. The next one he came out, and that was right before COVID. That was he was the last person to physically come and do a barrel pick, and that was in February of 2020 mm-hmm. and uh that was before like we blew up and i could sneak people in there and now we're under too much scrutiny and we don't have a tasting room license so i'm not supposed to but anyhow right. so yeah you know it was like it and, it and those videos were real like i was on vacation in montana and right. i was just yeah. like man we gotta fucking do something here we gotta let these people know and so that that's what the videos were and then everybody was so nice Everybody mm-hmm. was so amazing. Like the comments were great, and and um, I really appreciated. It. I was so stressed out, and then like the next day, I was like, "Oh fuck, everybody's amazing," you know. And yeah. and that's the thing. Like, so yes, I, I think that definitely got us towards the social media. And the social media, I had already kind of, you know, it's tough. You know, you got to figure it out, uh, especially mm-hmm. when you're older. <laughs> It was funny. I was at like a trade show and like these young guys working for this other brand. They're like, yeah, man, you figured it out uh, Instagram. Like, how'd you do it? I'm like, you were supposed to figure it out. You're young, man. I'm old. <laughs> like, you know, well, I mean, it, it, you, you found a way to connect with people. And that's what it really yeah. boils down to. Is it, it felt like, I mean, from, from my end, because I'm looking at it from a consumer. This is pre podcast. This is pre thinking about anything other than like I was on the list originally to buy the bottle and then this thing happened. And then for the first time I start seeing someone who is directly affiliated with a brand coming out and you didn't go after the person who did, because at the end of the day, he didn't do anything that technically was illegal. I mean, there was, there was an ethical problem illegal. there. Yeah. Like, there's a significant ethical problem, but you know, he didn't do anything that was illegal. And you didn't spend any time talking about that. You spent more time talking about kind of the the ethos of your brand and how you wanted to go about trying to make things better and right and you know being apologetic. And people's people's bullshit detectors can be pretty good, you know. And oh, most yeah. of my life, the times that I've questioned my gut instinct, I've always been wrong for questioning it. And so, <laughs> you know, it came across as like this is not. This I know is exactly not someone telling mean, a brand story, right? This, yeah. is, this is not somebody telling a brand story. This is somebody who genuinely cares about what they're doing you know the, the product they're putting on the shelf and it came through it comes through in the bottles at least well, from the you. ones that i've had i haven't had everything but um and then there, there's been you know it's like i do the best i can and mm-hmm. there's always learning experiences i mean obviously like long time ago 2016 there was definitely learning experiences with small mm-hmm. batch uh there was even learning experience with uncut unfiltered you know people like always talk about oh the glory days of uncut unfiltered. oh it used to be so much better like it won a silver medal in 2018 and mm-hmm. um i can't remember the other year because like i had to uh i think it was, maybe it was just 2018 because i had to learn to dial in the finish by spitting it out because in, in uh competitions they spit it out and it was like right. oh, i was drinking it and it was like really good and but um but yeah even i cut the younger i think like maybe the, the first i had to learn how it's all gonna change but mm-hmm. But yeah, I try, man. It's like when people hate on on stuff, I'm like, I'm sorry. That's the best I can do. I've never liked on anything that where I was like, we got to get this bottled. Let's go. Oh, fuck. It doesn't taste the way I want. It's always been like I liked mm-hmm. it. And and maybe my palate was off or 
maybe well, I mean, what it, it may not be, you know, it, I, I try to look at it this way. I've had, a, I've had a lot of different whiskeys and there are some things that I just don't like, but it doesn't yeah. mean that they're bad. It just means that it doesn't hit my flavor receptors in the same way it might hit somebody else. And so kind of being cognizant of that and tasting through things, being like, Oh, I can tell what was trying to happen here. I may not right. like it, but I can yeah. say this is good for what it's supposed to be. Right. Right. And, and that's, that, that, that sort of comes through, but you also have an attitude that is almost, and this may sound like an insult. It's not, and there's an, there's, there's, almost, there's almost this irreverence for whiskey nerds that you, you kind of push out there from time to time where you, you talk about your, your, your special batch, small batch, or like kind of poking at people who are really about allocated whiskeys. And, you know, you did some giveaways where you're like, if this shows up on secondary is yeah, done, yeah. right. Like yeah. that sort of attitude kind of coming at it the whiskey aficionados i think also latch onto that it's like you know we we, oh. re- we can recognize like we're sort of obnoxious assholes hey, look man the same thing holds true with like even the holiday bottles people get mm-hmm. their little their britches in a twist over those things i'm like i don't know how to tell you guys this but not everybody's miserable in their basement with a little book <laughs> putting notes down some people like have friends and they're yep. social or maybe they just like holidays or they go to parties like or even for me in the bar business halloween is the number one drinking holiday for sure no kidding yeah especially in vegas way more but that vegas. that makes more sense than like way more Kentucky, than st but... patrick's day or anything and so it's like man it'd be cool you know and so i don't know it's just fun it, it's and i design them and uh so yeah it's like you know everybody I don't know. My attitude is you should be drinking it and enjoying it. I mean, even because I'm not a, I have no history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when I was doing it, I would be totally full of shit if I was told you like, oh yes, yeah, the first small batch I wanted to have stone fruit, and I would just did it till I liked it, and yeah. um, I was like, man, I really like this. I like it better than anything else, you know. And I've told the story a million times at this point, but like the, the experts we had hired were like. Don't do that because you've got eight year and you want to put that in an age statement bottle and small batch has no age statement. And I was like, well, we can't still, the state laws change. Some guy's trying to do it and he loses 48% in the first year. I think the writing's on the wall. This mm-hmm. is the <laughs> source bourbon is the route we're going here. There is, a, there, you know, and it's funny because like I see people like I would never drink source bourbon. I was like, oh shit. Sorry, guy with 22 followers and no uh, profile <laughs> picture. I should have told my business partner, hey, man, I know we've got, you know, at this point, like six years into this and mm-hmm. however much money. But this guy over here won't drink source bourbon. So let's just shut it down. Call it a day. You know, close the doors. Call it a loss. You know, and, and I, th- uh, <laughs> I think that that trend is dying off. I think people, you know, it feels like you, you hit about the same time that, you know, maybe the broader whiskey group, maybe not the real, real nerdy nerds. But um, people were largely OK with the idea of drinking sourced whiskey. Um, as long as you're not trying to pretend like you made it yourself, right? That, uh, yeah, I mean, when we first released, though, like there was people where I, I, you know, I would do events and I would do things and mm-hmm. I would sit there and they'd be like, "Oh, so you're not really doing anything?" I was like, "Well, I am actually. I'm blending it and we age it here, and I have an understanding of the warehouse, you know, because especially mm-hmm. back then everything was racked and there was no palletized yet." Um, mm-hmm. And still a lot of our stuff, most of our stuff, I would say, is is racked. Uh, and, you know, nobody understood MGP. They were like, they would Google it and they thought it was just like this company that made food grade protein and uh, ethanol for Purell, you know. 
And mm-hmm. I was like, and I had been there. I went to the Seagram's distillery in 2012. I, I think they'd only owned it for eight months at that point or something like that. And it was an eye-opening experience to say the least, but it was, you know, it's very industrial, but not like modern industrial, like, right. you know, 1930s industrial when it was built, but it's still majestic. And you see these massive masonry warehouses from the th- early thirties and you, the, it's location on the Ohio river be- is they chose that because that's the way they're always getting wind off the Ohio river every morning and the mist blows in the off the Ohio river and floods the rack houses and uh which is real because even right. the palletized warehouses they aren't they don't have the seagram's engineering where it's double wall masonry with dirt you know sub basement floors wicking water and the proof still goes down over time in the new warehouses so it's real the the humidity yeah. coming off the river is real and um so I'm telling these stories and like, yeah, and I do this and I do that. And, you know, there was there was pushback, but I was just like, I'm not going to I'm not going to lie. And it's funny because, uh, I don't know, maybe two years ago when we started blowing up. Somebody was like criticized. Our distilled in Indiana was like too small. But, like it's the same exact font as like the address and on right. all our corporate information, you know, because like you see guys now and they're like distilled by you know squib and ross you know doing business squib and ross at mgp at this address on this you know it's like yeah like you're and I, when we were doing that no the state was not i'm sorry the, the federal government was not enforcing that yet we were like the mm-hmm. only ones and then a year after that when it started being enforced that's when everybody uh, switched a while to a blend of straight bourbons you know, to, to give you an idea how much has changed. You don't really see that as much anymore, but everybody did it. Everybody got multi-state, uh, you know, distillation stuff so they could tell their story about their still that they named Mildred or Melissa or Bertha. And now they're just, oh, we did source, but now right. we're now we're doing our own and blend of straight bourbons. No state, uh, you know, distillation required on the back. And, and even now people... You know, they're like, oh, you're ever going to distill your own? I'm like, no. What? I, I can't do it better than them. You know, like right. even some of the comments that people, positive comments, were like, man, this stuff is so clean. My friends came over and we crushed a bottle and nobody was hung over. It's like, yeah, because MGP's got this multi-million dollar methanol sniffer. And when they cut right. their hearts, it's they're watching a computer screen and they know the chemical composition of the distillate. It's not some guy going, okay, the temperature is uh, 200 degrees and uh, it doesn't smell like acetone anymore. So I think this is where we do our hearts, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's super clean. So, but yeah, it was hard in the beginning, I would say. And again, kind of doing a full circle here to what we were talking about with bourbon enthusiasts. The thing that got me through it were people because every weekend I was at a liquor store doing a tasting and everything was hard my life was hard (laughs) it was we it took forever to get going we finally got going things were moving very slowly but at every tasting the tape my table would be surrounded Mm -hmm. like just six to ten people deep everybody wanting to hear me talk about it and i had no bullshit story there was nothing about like if we found the recipe in my grandfather's shoe or you know right like, it, it was just like hey so i did this because i let you know small batch 
uh, another thing, small batch has gotten better. But back then, you know, I really made small batch was a little harsh because I exclusively drank it on the rocks in the summertime. Mm -hmm. And I wanted it. So when it ice melted, it was uh, it was like really nice and complex. And I would say, oh, do this. And and, um, you know, it was and everybody was like because you're giving out free samples. And so you get people that don't really drink bourbon and they'll tell you they're like i don't drink bourbon i'm like oh what do you drink like oh i drink scotch but it's free booze let me have some you know like okay here you go and they're like whoa this is really good i really like this and uh and that's all i i want you know is like i want people to enjoy the experience of drinking it because i enjoy it and it's creative do it you know it's creative and you put it out there and um and you hope people like it and so if people like the way it tastes but they're not going to drink it because it's sourced. That's cool. I don't want you drinking my stuff anyhow, <laughs> because there's other aspects of your personality that are going to make you unpleasant. And I don't want you seen with one of my bottles because you're going right. to, I don't want you out of the party. Yeah. You're not, you're not a pleasant <laughs> gonna, person at the party. Yeah. You're going to ruin the image of the brand. People are like, you are oh, bad man, advertising for me. I like that. That guy drinks like smoke. Oh, fuck that brand. <laughs> <laughs> if that guy likes it, then it must be really it terrible. It must be and- pretentious juice so you know and, and that's so, that's the thing is it, it's it's never come across as pretentious yeah. um there are some things like it, you could easily transition that with the design of the bottle with some of the special you know limited batches that you've done you could cross into that pretentious threshold real fast but you know the, the, the same people who are shitting on sourced whiskey are gonna run to their nearest liquor store the first time a single barrel is put up on the shelf from a major producer or you know somebody who yeah, does distill. Where, where they have 30 labels but two mash bills you know well, no, not even like... that just they're they're buying what someone picked off of a shelf because of its flavor profile it has almost nothing to do with distillation when you get to the single barrel process right? oh like, yeah because they're so varied and they're like well i know they're all so varied what now, now you break that thought process down you say okay so now there's there's a person like you who's focusing on blending batches to create specific emotions flavor profiles whatever and right. i think it's something that's picking up in the united states you know like blenders in, oh, for in sure. scotland are like huge but yeah you know blended whiskey was a was same, a dirty word japan the, right. the distiller in japan's a, a scientist and yeah. you know well and that's the yeah a distiller by the is way a scientist. yeah and, and people you know people say oh the distiller is nothing in you well the distiller is not nothing they right. they have a very difficult skill set but that I don't have, nor nor do I want. You know, like okay, let's say we start distilling on our own. Lake Mead is completely full, so I can humidify my warehouses so we don't get forty eight percent volume loss. The mm-hmm. state changes its laws. We're living in a magical paradise where I can do whatever I want. Well, I'm going to hire a master distiller because I'm mm-hmm. not going to sit in the distillery all day watching chemical composition. I'm sorry, but I like my life now. Like. I come in and my samples are set up and I blend mm-hmm. my samples and I figure it out and we go over some stuff and then I get out of there. I didn't work this hard for this long to be trapped. You know what I mean? It's like, right. And you, you <laughs> find these, the, the, the guys that are doing both, you know, your craft distillers that are also the blender. I think of, you know, Alan Bishop at French Lick, you know, like he is both blender and distiller and that's got to be just flat out exhausting and taxing because oh yeah they're two completely different art forms there is an art to distillation absolutely 
But, you know, like a prime example, Maker's Mark put out their whiskey drop series the last go round, and they had two bottles. One was selected by the master distiller, and one was selected by the master of maturation, which is going to be closer to a a taster blender. And lo and behold, which one do you think is going to be better? Probably (laughs) the maturation. Not to say that the distiller didn't do a good job, but it's a different mindset because you're tasting as it comes off the still and how you think it's going to go in the barrel. Yeah. But afterwards, who the hell knows? Well, look, here, here's, a, you know, an example is, is you know, Harlan Wheatley has mm-hmm. made all the, he's trying to climate control and humid, humidity control of all the warehouses. So everything is exactly the same, mm-hmm. right? Because it's a scientific experiment to him. And so you want, you want a controlled environment for this chemical reaction. You have someone like me, my joy comes in getting, it could be like getting barrels that taste like dog shit. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a tough one. We got to figure <laughs> out how to make this work. Okay. Right. And that's that's the beauty of bourbon for me is is like getting all the – and that's why I keep – you know, when I do the blends, I don't blend all my four-year together. All the four-year, depending on its location and, and um, federal batch ID number, distillation run, it's all in separate tanks when we dump barrels. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. That's what I love. That's what I want to do is, is come in there – and now I come in there, all my samples are laid out for me. I don't do the barrel dumps. I just, and then I, I get to do what my thing, man, and have a good mm-hmm. time, you know? And that's kind of, that's, that, uh, that's what's important to me. That's, that's why I, I, I did everything I've done to get to this point, you know? Cause mm-hmm. when I was in the bar business, I was like, this isn't going to be fun forever. And I don't want to open up a bunch more bars and start traveling the country and dealing with bars I want to figure out something where I can be creative all the time. And I, mm-hmm. you know, and that we're in a central location shipping stuff out. And, and, and that was, and this was the next logical step. And I didn't really understand what it was going to be, you know, and I kind of created it to fit what I wanted because nobody was really, but it was just sort of worked out that way. Mm-hmm. That was, it was never like what I'm going <laughs> to, again, you know, it's not like when I, day one, it wasn't like, like a okay, firm business plan yeah, of this. So is, here's the plan. We're going right. to buy juice from MGP and then I'm going to figure out how to make it proprietary by blending. I mean, when I first started and I didn't really understand distillation, I was like, I'm going to learn distillation. I'll be the best distiller ever. Mm-hmm. And then I went to MGP and I was like, oh my God, what? <laughs> <laughs> Why am I trying you, to compete with these guys? How do you scale to this? Like right. they've got a, line of of trucks to dump grain and then there's a guy like doing you know you just you don't really understand the process until you see behind the curtain i think very few people have seen behind the curtain and um uh, even you know and so that really i I still again if somebody's already seen other podcasts or things like that i've told the story like a hundred times at this point my business partner jonathan you found me out like standing on this balcony like a fire escape balcony looking out over all the warehouses and the rail cars and everything and he was like what are you doing i was like we can't do it how they told us we could do it right how do you how do you get here how do you get to this this is 20 acres we have a 3900 square foot space like these buildings were built in the 30s like how do you replicate any of this and it's very scale to scale to that point. You, you, you to scale to that point, it takes a hundred years. You know, like that's, yeah. that's that's what you're looking at. You might be able to do it faster now, but yeah, I mean, look, look at even you know, Blue Runs opening their own places, fifty one million dollars. We did not have fifty one million dollars 
to, <laughs> to get started. We started right. with a very, I mean, there was, it was a decent amount of money, but not nothing, not 10, not even 5 million, not even 3 million, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was like, and that was the sort of the thing that where I had to figure out the uh, Instagram and everything because there was no money for marketing. All our money, the whole goal was let's do this forever. So every decision was about inventory. How can we stockpile inventory for the future? And so that was why I like was obsessed with figuring out Instagram because we didn't have any money to hire brand ambassadors or sales reps or anything. Cause all any extra money, or I should say all the money. Cause we weren't taking anything. I, I sold all the bars except for one. So I was like, you yeah, know, whatever John had the film business. So all the money was going, we had, we made sure we never missed a year of contract distilling that we, every year we did that. And that mm-hmm. was, that was our most important thing that we're laying down new barrels every year. Do you ever worry that with, with an, with an outsource model that eventually either MGP is going to get too expensive for you to maintain profitability, or they're just going to say, we're only going to do our own in-house thing. Like, you know, if MGP ever said, you know what, we're only going to make Ross and squib and it's only going to be our whiskey forever. Like how many brands are like, now what the hell do we do? Like, have you ever worried about that? I'm I'd be in the same boat as Diageo, Pernod Ricard. I mean, that's that's where our contract takes us in three and a mm-hmm. half years. You know, it takes us to thirty five thousand barrels a year. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why they would not want to have that guaranteed as a publicly traded company. Right. I do not know why they wouldn't want to have that to have a brand like us where, hey, this is here's our here's our quarterly POs and this is what we're doing here, our projections and, mm-hmm. you know, and deal with one customer versus a whole. I could see a day where they don't sell somebody 200 barrels a year anymore. Right. But I I think the long term plan is would be I mean. It would be a huge shift. It's just, and, and it's one of those thoughts that, you know, in, in my business occasion, I'll, you know, wake up in the middle of the night with this, you know, like this just horrible thought, like what if the business did this thing and it just completely destroyed my ability to, you know, whatever. Like I think about those things sometimes. And that's, that's sort of that same kind of thought, I think. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I mean, when we were smaller, I had those thoughts, you know, but, but mm-hmm. now I, you know, and I have a direct relationship with Kansas now. You know, I talk to everybody in Kansas for the most mm-hmm. part. I still do with my sales rep occasionally um, from Indiana. But, uh, but yeah, you know, we, we thought about that. And then, you know, when there was a, the merger with Luxco, then it was like, okay, well, no one's going to buy them out now because that was always a fear. Like, what if somebody wants right. to come in and buy them out? And so now that that's that's not going to happen. So, uh, so yeah, I, you know. It's at a least safe place the, to be for a while. At least the next three and a half years, and right, that you know, then who? I think it's going to be a completely different environment in three and a half years. I don't think. I, I think there's going to be a few brands standing. I don't think there's going to be this flooded. Saturated you think we're market. on the? You think we're on the edge of a of a bourbon? I don't want to say collapse, but um, not not reset. a bourbon collapse, but a premium collapse, sort of the way the way premium vodka collapse you know people are still buying smirnoff tito's is doing crazy numbers all you know that's sort of when you look at tito's i mean that was that for me being in the bar business at that time you know i mean look in in 2007 when i opened i was five years into the bar business in 2007 three quarters of my glasses were martini glasses Mm -hmm. everybody was drinking vodka cocktails 
everybody wanted Grey Goose. Everybody wanted Chopin. Everybody wanted to flex, pretend like they had money. And then all of a sudden, the housing market collapsed. Everybody was broke. It was no longer cool to flex and pretend like you have money. And everything took a shit. And then there was Tito's, a perceived craft brand at an affordable price. And that's mm -hmm. what everybody wanted because it was cheap. And it was not like smearing off or something that it was perceived as being, you know, it didn't. And, and by, I mean, you know, the story is all, I mean, it, that's why it's called Tito's handmade vodka as a retailer. I could tell you all of a sudden, like, you got to put handmade on this. You got to right. put handmade on that because that's how they won the lawsuit that it wasn't Tito's handmade. It was called Tito's handmade vodka. That was their fanciful name and it had right. no meaning. Right. And uh, but it I means it's still good. I drank it. It's not. It's like you know. It's unfortunate. There's some downstairs right now. Like, you know. Yeah. We'll, I mean, we'll, we'll keep it around. You know. The story is is the story, but it tasted good, and he did win a double gold at San Francisco, yeah. and I drank it. You know. Yeah. Um, and but you so, don't drink it anymore because you drink silver dollar vodka. Right? I drink silver dollar so much better. <laughs> yeah. So that, you know, it's funny because I just had some when I was in Colorado, and I was like, "Damn, damn, this is." This is good. This is why I can't. And then I was like, okay, that's why I don't drink vodka anymore. I was like, gone. Okay, let's quick. go back to Way yeah, let's quick. go back to bourbon. And, so, uh, and and vodka is a hard shift there, but the you know, I, I think, I think you have the ability to sell. Oh, there's bourbon cheaper. He's in the comments. What's going on, dude? How you doing? Yeah, Matt. I, I love Matt. He's he's a super dude. Um, yeah, he said we got matching. Actually, no, Matt, we don't have matching mics. Uh, Aaron has a significantly Dance. better microphone than mine. Um, we have matching arms to the microphone. Oh, that's, yeah. that's, 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 that's where my, my budget let me get the arm, but not the microphone. <laughs> um, and, oh, I, you know, I didn't ask this. From, how do you pronounce your last name? It, it's Chepanik. Chepanik. Okay. Unless, that's what I thought. But I always... you're one of the, uh, all the Florida Chepanik say it's Chepanik. Okay. They're, they're crazy. I, I try to avoid it altogether. I had a I had a, a guy from Bespoken Spirits on here once, and he's got an Eastern European last name. I was like, I'm not even gonna try. We'll just stick with your first name. That's what we're gonna. Yeah, do. mine's like a Ellis Island last name. Uh, everybody knows it's Russian, but everybody knows it's Russian. It's like it's not a real. It's just they they just put some letters together. And this they is what they just came, put some. They didn't quick. understand what he was saying. Yeah, Cyrillic. And, uh, they they were like, <laughs> you could write it in Russian and it's Cyrillic, and we don't know what these characters are because maybe yeah. I'm from France or Spain or wherever. Um, so in your silver dollar vodka bottles, you have a recreation of a silver dollar, right? Here's like, what I made earlier. So yeah, that, this that's is, a process, this is right? What, that's like a huge this, process to get that there. Uh yes, I had to design the bottle myself because I was told. You could not have a piece of metal in the round bottle. So I had to build mm -hmm. this on the computer and show them that if you recessed it a certain amount and then did these bumpers, that it would not be a contact on the assembly line. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then that's when I put in all the desert sage and everything and really started getting the uh, getting the details down. And then we had to get permission from the United States Treasury to trademark the replica of the Morgan Silver Dollar because it was public domain. And so it's pretty cool. And uh, you know, it's funny because so you now have to get permission. You had to get permission from them to do it. Oh, from the United States Treasury. Yeah. yeah. 
Was that yeah. like a was that like a whole thing, or was it like a far easier than you thought it was going to be? Whenever you started after, I I just paid an attorney, so for me uh, it was a very uh, it was an easy process. <laughs> here's your money. <laughs> Tell me when you're done. Very much. Yeah. It's like putting a hit out on somebody. It's like here's here's. I don't here's I don't think it was that tough for him. I just think uh, it was. Uh, I think they inquired and they said yes, you can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why it says. Um, they're used. To, it's cool because it worked out for the batch stickers, but the whole thing used to have sage. But I removed it so you could read copy, and then now that's where the batch stickers go. But yeah, it was all it was all for the vodka. Vodka was first. Thank God I ended up doing bourbon. Right, and then you keep a similar bottle design. The the emblazoned bottles. What I was getting to is that you could sit on a shelf next to you know a dozen other bottles, and there's a handful that might compete with you for the purchaser's attention yeah just because of the bottle design may not know shit about whiskey but you put it and a handful of other bottles next to each other and those are the only ones that compete you stick this next to a bottle of anything else on the shelf just standard most of what's up here people can be like oh this is interesting i'll buy this yeah i mean you know it's like there you have to a have the personality where uh, where they say you can't do it and they say yes i can (laughs) (laughs) i'll go do it i'll go figure it out I'll go learn how to do this. And then, um, yeah, I mean, man, it was like, it took a long time. It was like, I just sat at the computer for days, just, uh, just working on it. And, um, and then, you know, coming from, again, come from the bar business. So it's always, it's always hard to say, right. Because I knew coming from the bar business, I was like, we got to have a nice package because all these craft brands when craft stuff blew up probably in like 2008, 2009 that's when we really started seeing like hudson and things like that and then also smaller guys and they would bring their stuff to me and i was like what do you what do you want me to do with this <laughs> you want me to put this on the back bar like your price it looks like it is, looks like it looked like well bourbon but it was it's yeah supposed to be back bar yeah and you're because of the price point they're like well right. we craft we created this i'm like nobody gives a shit Right. Nobody cares. Um, it's like um, it's an excuse to to phone it in when it comes to the final design. But they've yeah. largely spent all of their money on the front end. They get to the end of like, oh shit, we got to put this in some glass and put a label on it. We're well, out. Well, yeah. yeah. And also, they're like, what does the packaging matter? It's the contents that we've created for you. We've blessed you with this. I'm like, dude, what do you want to happen on a busy night? You want my bartender to like explain, and then somebody's gonna. Ha- they're holding this bottle in your hand, you know, mm-hmm. they're and they're looking at it and it's alcohol and they have to ask themselves the question, do I trust these, this contents, you know? Right. And if it's a shitty bottle, the answer is no. If it looks like somebody hand wrote it on there, and yeah. there, there's a specific brand I'm thinking about. This is a celebrity brand where they've got like, what looks like handwriting on the, the bottle itself. If I did not know this is a celebrity brand, I would feel like I was going to get roofied. Like whatever's right. in here, and nobody's trying to roofie me. Like I understand that. Just like, the right like, enough that guy. Just a legal enough amount of acetone and methanol. Nothing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I may go blind from it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you know, the, some of those craft distillers are right. There is a subset of purchasers that don't care about the packaging whatsoever. But if that's who you're going after, you're probably not going to be profitable. Because there's like nine of us and we have a meeting, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, if that's who you're going after, you better have tours and you just better, you know, have mm-hmm. a thing where you're making money off cocktails and a few bottles that you sell you sell in your place. And, and and for us, our goals were always lofty. We always want to be a national brand, you know, and, and be perceived that way, like from the packaging. Like, yep. so, so you guys have been expanding pretty, you've ex- expanded your sales pretty rapidly. 
Um, but you're also oh, yeah. a physical location. So you, you yes. have a, a new physical location and there's an intent to eventually have people there. Or are you guys already open to people coming? Oh God, I wish we were open. I wish it was built. I'm still waiting on permits. <laughs> oh my God. I'm going to, man, I'll tell you, it's taking forever. Uh, but yeah, we bought four and a half acres. I don't even know when now it was a very long time ago. It feels like Maybe it was at least a year ago, right? Oh, Maybe easily. A year and some change. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And, um, well, I guess it couldn't have been too long ago because I wasn't working on that deal two and a half years. Yeah, so maybe it's been about a year. Maybe it just seems like it's taken forever. Right. But it's Everything always does, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, well, no, it was December. It's been a year and a half. Okay. Because um, we had to pay it off before the end of last year. Mm-hmm. And we had a year to do that. So, um, yeah, it's four and a half acres, man. It's right near the stratosphere. Yes, we have tours. No, we won't be able to sell retail sales, but once we move in, we'll start lobbying to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, but we will have a tasting room right away, and um, and then you know it'll be multi-phase. Like we just got to get in there and get out of the space we're renting and have more space because we have mm-hmm. no space right now. And yeah. uh, and then we'll start developing the four and a half acres, and I really think that uh, it'll be something special. That's the so I've I've never been to Vegas, but that's the the reason that I will eventually go when you guys get a physical location. I'm like, hey, now I have I have a ton of other reasons I could go, but you know it it, it never makes the top list because I have small children, and so Disney makes the top list or the beach makes the top list or wherever, and and Vegas never makes it there. But uh, when this oh, sorry, opens, I, I, I see Bourbon Jeeper, your hundred. I think you need to cut that hundred and ten plus category in half from what I've been seeing. Anything over like sixty is starting to take a fall off a cliff. Is what I've been seeing. That'll be that. That'll be an interesting cut. So I'm I'm putting them a premium collapse, and you're you're saying Matt and in, in his representation with Penelope is saying 110, and when we're I'm going to grade you guys against each other in three years. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you right now, damn phone. Poor uh, poor small batch was always the like redheaded stepchild, and now because of its price point. The, the demand mm-hmm. has just surged, you know, and I was already ready for it. Uh, I mean, straight, I was obsessed with having straight established as soon as possible because I saw this coming five years ago and then uncut the younger that took longer to get out than I wanted. And we're still in our old space, so we can't bottle it. But I was like, we need to get this out. And even when people like saw the colas and everything, they're like, oh, is this what it's come to? I'm like, why don't you tell me another? I can't really talk pricing, but you know, right. Uh, it's supposed where it's supposed to be is like the low forties. Mm-hmm. There is no cast rank bourbon in the low forties right now. It is, it doesn't exist. And so when people were like, why are you doing this? I'm like, well, because I think people acquired a taste for high proof bourbon and all of a sudden they're not going to be able to afford it. Or it's going to be a pain in the ass. Cause not everybody's mm-hmm. sitting around working remotely anymore <laughs> or at home out there mm-hmm. for like two years and they're driving and gas is expensive and which means it, you know that's what you i learned like everything goes up you know it's like it's not just the gas in your passenger car it's the gas in the truck taking the thing and it's the energy being used and it's all the stuff so yep. all the cost of goods go up and all of a sudden you know and people don't have as much money as they used to and what it, you know and so it's like so I just felt like, hey, let's do an affordable daily cast rank bourbon. And, uh, you know, I'm totally happy. I think it's amazing. 
So Especially, it, the, uncut the younger is like so it, it's it's it was surprising. I it was one of those where you know when it comes out, you know I, I'm not in the in the in the mind of Aaron, right? Well, you probably um, it's good you missed the first month. The first month was not <laughs> what I wanted it to be. I had to was learn. It, some was lessons. it not what you wanted to be, or was it bad? Because those are two different things. Like it can still be good and not where you want it to be. It was good. But it because was everybody not, I talked to who was like, yeah, I've had it and it's great, right? It, That's yeah. Where it well, the irony went. is it was a little oaky, right? And mm-hmm. so for where I wanted that to be, like, yeah, I wanted to be an accessible cast strength bourbon. So oak mm-hmm. is not accessible to everybody. Some people are right. very kind you're, of sensitive. You're right there. I'm I'm the, if you were to bottle up just like wood water, I'd probably drink it, right? Like I, I come from a long line of woodworkers and home builders. And so sawdust sort of flows through our veins here. Um, whenever I was in college and people started getting into wine, I was like, what's the driest, woodiest thing you can, somebody can right. like Chianti. They're like, Hey, drink this. I'm like, this is delicious. It tastes bitter and woody and hateful like me. Um, you know, it, it's where I wanted to be. So you, you think the, the collapse of, of premier bourbons is more along the lines of a, recession than it is just the market shifting and people saying i'm not going to spend premium money on whiskey anymore i'm shifting to another cat spirit category correct okay i i don't i don't see them i don't not another premium i mean that you know you look at 2008 2009 nobody really went to another premium category Mm -hmm. they started drinking gin you know for cocktails that was the whole thing like that was sort of even more collapse of bourbon it's like all those mixology places open up like mother's milk and pdt in new york and all those places yeah. and everybody was doing mixology and they're like vodka is not good you should only make cocktails with gin i'm like you mean vodka with botanicals is that what you're talking about <laughs> okay <Yeah>. thanks <laughs> you know and so but but i i mean maybe like hendrix and some of that stuff got uh a little but it was nothing like the premium vodka market where right. like people were just spending money and i think that and i do think there's some degree of that in bourbon where people were buying stuff and not even they didn't even know if they liked it they're just mm-hmm. buying it to take a picture of it and put it on instagram well instagram exposure is in the toilet and uh and, and, and they're starting to crack down on spirits as well like they're, they're, they're oh not yeah as okay with spirits being around and instagram and you know i I have a ton of bottles, but the first, usually when I go to a liquor store and I buy something, the first thing I do is pull the plastic off of it and pour something out for the guy working behind the counter, whoever happens to be there, because there's nothing that's ever, you know, like there's going to be a picture of it eventually. Like it's going to eventually happen. But, um, Aaron and bottled and bond talk. Oh yeah. Bottle the bottle and bond ride. Oh, Yep. Oh, so that, I have all these things in, in reach. This is what he's talking about. The bottle bond rye. It's almost it's almost like you were prepared for this. And so I wasn't. We, my desk is just a cluttered mess. I'd like to say it was because I was prepared. This is here from when I did the video the other day. I don't see, even know. The but you were prepared. Like you have the place yeah. where you shoot the thing, and so the things yeah. are handy. Um, there's there's a ton. So you know, I, I go on Instagram, I go to coming whiskey, I see labels as they come across. Um, and so you, you see, you know, the things that are going to come maybe three to six months down the road. Um, and so you, you got into, to, to, to rye, you got a bottle yeah. and bond rye specifically. Bought the rise a long time ago. It just took forever to get, to get the, just to get everything together. It's just, everything's mm-hmm. a pain, you know, just <laughs> are you saying maybe like getting stuff through TTB and getting, in? oh, no, and... 
well, there have been TTB issues. That's the, mm. that was the irony of the first rare and limiteds where mm. it took so long that I, I, the whole thing about rare and limited. And the reason I haven't really done one in a while that required creativity is because it was supposed to be this fun thing where I put stuff out and people drank it, you mm. know, it wasn't beanie babies it wasn't like here's a bottle cool i'm gonna buy it and like hold on to it and 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 so you know because when i create these things it's i'm sorry but like there's no money in those rare things the Mm -hmm. i you know and that even like when i will get to the end of that story i swear but even like when the only five year came out i bought that march 2020 so it took forever to get our coal approval because the uh the uh what do you call it the specialist i was dealing with said that bebamus moriendum was false advertising because i was telling people they had to drink or they're going to die (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) is that for is that like a that's a that's a thing a real person said out loud yeah, so I was talking to my guy that I deal with for the liquor bottle for the bottles, and he used to work at Seagram's forever. Mm-hmm. And he said, Well, Seagram's was huge. So when we had that problem, we just go in there and pull the paperwork and give it to somebody else. I was like, I'll just let it expire. So I didn't mm-hmm. respond to his comments for 30 days, and uh, it expired. And I resubmitted it, and within a day, it was it was approved. Just a different and person's opinion. Just a different person. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, that's... um, yeah, man. <laughs> so, so the irony of that was like, and it's great because it could come out any time of the year. It doesn't have to come out during December when all the rare and allocated stuff comes out. And then it, it came out in December. Because who, who the fuck can read Latin though? You have to tell them what the, what it means. Any, oh, okay. You have to spell it. Okay. But I'm saying like, it's not spelled out on the bottle though, right? No, it just as beaming as more in a mess. But, but when you like, submit your stuff, when you, you have submit to say it to what... TTB. But I'm saying, like, it, it when it goes onto the shelf to the average American, like, who's like, oh, I can read this? They know what it means, <laughs> right? Like, that's yeah. I don't it know. Means it do- I'll Man. tell you what it doesn't mean. It does not mean if you don't drink this, you'll die. I mean, <laughs> if you don't drink it, you'll die. That is true. But if that you is drink true. It, you'll die as well. Yeah. Because you're going. Well, that's to die. the whole so thing is drink it. Technically, it's because you're going to die. Technically, so celebrate tr- life because it's not around forever. Right. Yes. The 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 original YOLO that exists. Uh, Matt Bourbon Jeeper Matt did say he didn't get his FedEx notification for his media sample, and I'm assuming he's talking about the rye. Oh, um, so that's the. That oh yeah. Well, he, he needs. We, he, we had that, sure. but then you know he went and worked for some company. That's what happens had, when you had, work for a competitor, right? Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you can't. No more samples for him. <laughs> tell you what just forward his samples to me we'll be fine <laughs> I, I won't share them with him i just took um, them all. yeah so um where were we uh the rye the, so we were talking about rye like it's a, the rye is out there it, it, it's out there in the market we've started shipping it i doubt it's in a store right now i mean but yes we, we've been bottling it and shipping it it's pretty cool so the reason that this one i could do a bottle and bond is because this 51 rye 49 percent corn mash bill is discontinued mm-hmm. and so i mean yeah there's some out there now but it's part of our contract and there are not a, not a lot of contracts got approved mm-hmm. and so th- this is part of our contract so it's proprietary in nature 
So I was like, hey, we can do bottle and bond. I don't have to blend it to taste different because it will be different no matter what. And then another thing, like, it's it's funny because, like, when I did it, people were like, what's the age statement? It's like, don't you want to know how it tastes? You want to know the age right. statement? It's not going to have an age statement because right now it's almost, it's probably, I think it's six year because I bought it when it was four year, like two years ago. But mm -hmm. it's off like the second or third floor. I like young rise. I do not like old rise. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then I don't know which mash bill it was. Um, Tim, it's been uh, people who are watching in the comments. Yeah. Tim asked uh, if it was a certain mash bill. And I don't know. I know it's been around forever. It was just like a traditional rye mash bill that has been around since the 30s. Did you say 51% um, rye? Is that what you said? 49 corn. They call it their traditional rye mash bill. Um it's one of the oldest ones they had because the 95 mm -hmm. rye was newer. That was developed to blend for Seagram 7 when they stopped using light whiskey for Seagram 7 and started using more neutral grain spirit. They wanted a blender that had more flavor mm -hmm. per, you know, volume. And so they that's when they created the 95 rye. So that, that was uh, not yeah. around since the 30s. But like 5149 um, is like way friendly to Kentucky folks, right? Because we're already. I love it, man. Yeah, I, I like I like the combination of the two. Um, I, I I mean, so so the thing is, you know, yeah. So now it's six year off, like the I think it's second or third floor. But I don't have con. I am very fortunate that I am allowed to specify side filled racked. Mm -hmm. You know, most most people don't get to do that with MGP. Um, they they it goes where it goes but even then it goes where it goes you know mm -hmm. and so it's like i don't know what it's going to be throughout the years and it's it's i can't blend it to taste a certain way and it, so because bottle and bond so it has to be single single season so um you know it could be four year off the sixth floor and it's going to taste the same or it could be five year off the fourth floor or you know what i mean it's like yeah. it's like when people like say age statements uh, that's secondary to warehouse mm -hmm. location. Warehouse location dictates everything. I can give you six year that tastes like it was instilled yesterday, and I can give you four year that's almost over oaked, depending on warehouse location. You know, I mean, that's like all the super old stuff is not aged like normally in the heart of a warehouse. Right. It's like put in the basement, or I guess now they're putting stuff in a giant walk in refrigerator so they can have super old bourbon. You know, it's like right, or you can build, or you can build a uh, um, aging warehouse into the side of a hill and excavate out all of the. You know, that's what makers did for their forty six. They've got a you know nice. Uh, oh yeah, that's what I'd have to do here. I have to go like where the water table is super low and mm -hmm. dirt would be all, all all wet and everything. But I think where the water table is low, you're taking water from Mojave, so I don't think that would be a thing to frown on. So, so how do you, so you've, you've developed, you know, a handful of new ideas for the brand. Like, how do you go about doing that? Or do, do they come to you and like, Hey, here's the thing we've got. Would you like to buy it? Uh, no, I just think about it, you know, it just comes to me and then I, and I go to see what's available. I mean, I've never asked them to create a mash bill for me yet, you know, maybe down the road, but, um, I like rye. I thought it was like a good fit since we do high rye uh, bourbon. I'll tell you one thing: we are coming out with a cast strength, the forty nine percent malted rye, fifty. I'm sorry, forty nine percent malted barley, fifty one rye. Man, if that mash bill existed in 2012, 
I don't know. I don't know if there'd be a smoke. I guess there would be a smoke wagon bourbon because it's very expensive. It's the most expensive mash bill they have by mm -hmm. far, like almost double of everything else. But um, I want to. I want to. I want to. I want to ask that again. You said forty nine percent malted barley and fifty one percent rye. Yeah. So that was the mash bill for the experimental stuff, which mm -hmm. I didn't even know was experimental. I just thought it was eight when I bought it. It was eight years old, and I let it age for another year. When I bought that, I just thought it was. Um, old malted rye and i was like i gotta have those mm -hmm. and they're like you gotta pay i was like okay and then i saw they were like they when they showed up they had all these paperwork stapled to the side of the barrel i was like oh man what are these and then i was like okay it's cool but we paid a lot for them because they're yes. su super double extra rare oh uh thoughts on weeded i'm not a big weeded uh fan uh so i really I really can't do anything that I don't like, you know, mm -hmm. and I, and I think we're kind of getting to where I want to be. I might do another rye. We'll see, but the four core expressions every now and then doing like, you know, rare and limited when it becomes fun again and uh, two, two to three rise. I think that's, I think that's good, you know, um, for our size and the volume we have to do and everything. I think it's, it's, we can keep the quality control. We can keep it consistent and, uh, mm -hmm. And and that's kind of like, that's that's kind of like where where I'm at, you know. And um, I'm never gonna like chase after anything. I'm just gonna, and, and and you know, it's like we we have our look. Everything the the nice thing is, it's like everything could stay the same, and I'd be happy. Mm -hmm. We could not grow. All we gotta do is pay off the stupid building and recover from the times where we unfortunately had to buy aged juice to. Uh, to you know fill holes in inventory and and, mm -hmm. and like sort of overpay and the thing is is like even when we overpaid i never changed the pricing we were just like let's just eat it because again i wanted all the affordable stuff to be established as affordable you know mm -hmm. so there was there was like probably eight months where like we didn't really make any money on straight and because it was like you know there was, there was we really didn't make money on on small batch small batch and uncut i had to change because the bottle pricing went up and mm -hmm. now we're in a new excise tax bracket with the federal government because we're no longer under the craft uh, modernization act where you pay like two dollars a proof gallon now we pay thirteen dollars and twenty cents a proof gallon gotcha. that's a big that's a big jump <laughs> that's, that's two <laughs> two to thirteen is pretty significant per yeah, proof gallon. Like, yeah, so like, give me an example. A bottle of uncut, it went from being like fifty cents in tax to like two dollars and forty cents in tax per bottle. Mm -hmm. You know, so so that's why I changed those. Now, small, uh, straight, and uncut the younger because they were newer. I, I, I figured out how to get the pricing where I want it to be, considering the new tax. Mm -hmm. In two thousand sixteen, I never thought we'd ever <laughs> get <laughs> to that level. So, so you're saying I, you grew faster than you expected that you would grow. Oh, my God. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, the uh, – oh, thank you, Tim, for the compliments. Um, yeah, you know, the, it all happened so fast, and that was the thing. Like, people are like, when are you going to go to a new state? When are you going to another state? And we, we got in all these states at once mm -hmm. over a course of probably six months. But then and you've then got was, the excellent such amount of juice to spread over all the yeah, new states that well, you just got into. You get into these states, and and you know it's like except for maybe te maybe te Texas might have been high, high expectations. We didn't know, but you go into these states, and they're like, "What are your expectations?" I'm like, "I don't really have any. It's chill. It's cool. Whatever." Mm -hmm. 
Oh, but, but but again, sorry, talking about all that other stuff and eating it. Once we, you know, we'll recover from all of this in probably like five or six months. And then it'll be mm-hmm. June and we'll have 5,000 barrels turn four years. And then the next month, it's another 600. And it's like that for a year. And then it's 800. And then it's 1,200 every month. And it's just, you know, and, um, but there's no pressure to grow. Like, mm-hmm. Even when we did this contract, I was talking to my business partner. I was like, yeah, it's exciting. It's fun to think about like building this big brand, but we don't have to. Mm-hmm. There's no pressure. There's no investors. If we do what we're doing now, once we get through this, there'll be so much, you know, plenty of money for everybody and it's fun and it's cool. And, you know, so so when I look at like adding things, you know, there, there's no, the only motivation is for me creatively and uh so you know so if it's something i want to so i really want to do a rye because i like mm-hmm. rise and so so uh anything i do is like yeah i want to do this yeah. and uh long i mean answer <laughs> it, it, it it's, a, it's a good place it's an absolutely good place to be where you don't have the need to grow and, you know, increasing your price to adjust for, you know, momentary cost, it puts you in a position where it's really tough to decrease once you've increased, right? Because yes. then, then the question is yeah. like, okay, well, why are they cutting the price back down? And you could tell people until you're blue in the face that we're cutting it back down because it was only a temporary increase. Uh, yeah. Like, well, oh, especially no, they're probably when you're, doing something else, though. Especially when your whole goal of that product is to establish it as affordable right. in preparation for needing to have affordable products you know yeah and and uh and even when i did it like like even when i did it i wasn't like we need to do this because everything uncut the younger i kind of was like we got to do this like when i thought about it a couple years ago i was like we kind of have to do this this is really going to help solidify the brand and give people something special and affordable and that's always kind of like and straight was always that straight was like hey everyone's like what are you gonna do next you're gonna do super double extra quadruple premium you're gonna do finished in this and then this and then put on a ship and then put on a train and then go around the moon and come back aged bourbon space bourbon bourbon is the next frontier it's it's gotta be because you need to get a hold of elon musk and be like hey i need to send some bourbon to space because we've got we've got you know tractor trailers we've got boats we've got trains we've got river barges now you know we got you know ocean liners you're going to outer space that's what's next yeah so i was just like man everything's getting weirder and weirder and less accessible mm-hmm. and i just want to do a superior like entry-level daily bourbon that's like mm-hmm. you know it's not it's not chill filtered so keep it over 92 proof so it won't really flock use the same mash bill which is expensive mash bill you know and uh and everyone's like you were fucking crazy nobody wants that and I was like, we'll it, but see. Not, though, like, because th- there, there's another brand out there, and I'm not going to say anybody, any other brand's names, but you know, their original intent was, can we get between one and five percent of the market share from Basil Hayden? Because you know, oh. Basil Hayden has a huge market share because it's inexpensive and it's approachable. Right. If you, as a company, as a small brand, could capture between one and five percent of their 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 sales. See, I, ne- I never think that way. I just think like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we gave people this? I think they'd like it, right? You know, but 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 the idea is that you're coming in at a you know not necessarily an entry price, but an affordable price, and you're trying right. to beat the quality that's already there. You're competing in a marketplace where there is a ton of sales to pick up, and if you can just do it better, 
there's a yeah. lot of money to be made there. Yeah, and you know, and look, there's people that drink straight and they don't know who I am. And I know that for a fact because they live in states and I have friends or people that I kind of know from from the I used to I used to know a lot more people when I was in the bar all the time. I don't know mm-hmm. as many people anymore. But they'll be like at somebody's house visiting and be like, "Oh, you a smoke wagon?" I know Aaron. They're like, "Who's Aaron?" Like, you know, Aaron, smoke wagon guy. Like, right. I don't know who that is. I was like, I was at a liquor store and they were giving samples and I liked it and I liked the price. So it was my go-to. This is my bourbon I buy every week, you yeah. know? And that's, that's what I want. That, that's, no, that's, that's, that's what amazing. I want. Yeah. And so that's the thing. Like, when people are like, oh, when did you know you made it? Was was it when, uh, you know, a bottle sold for this or this happened? Mm-hmm. I was like, when straight became allocated, man. That's when I knew we made it. That's when I knew we were real. You know, private barrel picks, even uncut to some degree because the batch stickers, none of that is real. What's real is having these these core expressions that effortlessly sell. And it's, mm-hmm. there's no hype, you know, like even uncut the younger had some hype and you know, people were taking pictures of it when they got it. But man, it's like nobody say, I shouldn't say nobody. Yeah, some people are taking pictures of, of straight, but it's not, it's always like, hey, join my favorite go-to daily sipper. Right. Or it's not like, check this shit out, motherfucker. It's not a fuck you bottle, you know? And, I mean, it is around here because you're still not seeing it, right? Like there's not I, a ton here, but I, I understand the sentiment because I'm I, also we in We send like, a lot there. Like, I mean, to, the, that's the thing. When I was talking to... uh you know the, the distributor and i was like this is what i have for you every month we can peel mm-hmm. this off and that's it and he was like that's a lot I'm like it's i was like look kentucky might be the one state where that's a lot but i'm telling you it's not gonna be a lot i was like because all, all these all these grocery store chains want us national walmart wants us national so, which means sam's club we got into sam's club so costco wants us national like you know kroger wants uh, i was like it's not it's not going to be enough I was like, mm-hmm. he's like, can I tell people I'm getting it? I was like, you don't want to because it's going to make your life difficult. Just I was like, I could because he was, you know, they they distribute like um, Uncle Nearest. He's like, well, Uncle Nearest, like we do this. And I was like, dude, I do more than that in a month in like right. state. Like and that's the thing, too. And I'm, I'm not really I'm not bragging. I don't want to come across like uh, boo boo. This is what we do. But it's like when people are always like, Hey, is anybody offering you to buy it out? I'm like, no, cause they don't, nobody gets it. Mm-hmm. Nobody. Under, we're only in 13 States and you can't get it. So they look at it. Like we're just some like small cult following brand and they don't understand like how much we ship to these States. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Especially Texas. Texas is insatiable. Right, and even I mean, like and, and, and the bottle's going to fit their motif through and through. I mean, uh, you got you got you got cross guns, you oh, got yeah. you got flowers, you got emblazoned. Like it, there is a Texas spirit, and I appreciate it. I, I, my 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 mother's family's from south of San Antonio. Like there, there's a Texas vibe to this through and through. There yeah. is, and so I get it. And well, I think your, a lot of I mean, Kentucky. You know, it's goes vibe of kentucky for the most part like any, anywhere and um we're, we're not as bold we're we're, we're a little a little less bold than than texas is so you, you mentioned you know being bought out do, do you have a price like if somebody showed up at your door right now and said i want to buy smoke wagon i want to buy no. you, you don't it, have it, a, like a number in your head like this is it and if you meet no. this i'll walk away happily no because i what am i gonna do 
you know you have to start up a new brand after that yeah start something new i don't want to do it. i'm too old man this is like i've done i've done so many things i can't do it anymore. it's not like when i my first like when i did my first business mm-hmm. you know i was 28 i was 28 and i was like i would rather be broke and doing my own thing than working for mm-hmm. these assholes and uh and by the way, I try not to be one of these assholes so that people working for me are very happy. You know, right. I understand like what it goes a long like. way. Yeah. And I try to reward them uh, the, as much as I can, you know, financially mm-hmm. and with benefits. And um, and I was broke, you know, but man, I had fire. I was like, I, I'll work. I worked so hard. And when I opened my first bar, I blew, you know, I I did investment after investment and I put all my money into the first bar and I built it. I physically built it Mm -hmm. because there wasn't enough money. Like one of the guys working on it, I realized he didn't know what he was doing. And I was like, I just got to go buy tools and and build it because I knew how to build fake. I didn't know how to frame or make it so it didn't fall down and kill anybody. But I came, I did construction in the film business. So I knew how to make it look cool. So one guy, uh, Chase, who I hired, he made sure nobody died and I made it look cool except for the stone. We hired stone masons to do all the stone. That, that's I, an art form in and of itself. I'm the, I'm yeah. the make it where nobody dies part. I'm not the finish <laughs> it and make it look good part. My yeah. my wife's family are all like woodworkers and they like make, you know, fine woodworking. I'm like, I'll build the structure. You make it look pretty. That's, that's, but, this is how this relationship works. Yeah. But man, I'll tell you like the timing I was done. Like when I, I how I would bottle like all night. I would bottle till like one or two in the morning. Uh, I'd either deal with the bar or go out and do tastings and go to accounts during the day. And I just like, you know, the one thing that was like kind of like the paperwork and everything. That's like people are like, hey, I have this, I have this bat, this bottle, and the ABV is not quite the same. Like, yeah, that was like probably 2017 when I was doing everything and I like. You know, it was only bottling in like a little tiny Latina tank. So we do like 44 cases of uncut. And I probably did like a pallet and a half and like combined them all into one run to report to the federal government. Uh, you know, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> so sorry. I had no idea that, that in, in uh, you know, five years, people would be trying to find every batch. You know what I mean? And, um, but I just, I just remember sitting there like going, I, I, like I went to pick up a bot, a, pallet not a pallet but a case off a pallet and i was like i am done i can't do this anymore and then like and then it's boom <laughs> like i started hiring people and it blew up it was great i knew the i knew that the 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 uncut unfiltered was hitting a stride whenever everybody started clamoring for having batch numbers on the back of the bottles and then you guys had to go on your website and be like all right here's the first whatever was it 26 oh, batches that didn't have a label on them because my, that my wasn't employees a did that and uh, oh god bless them man that was like a giant pain in the ass uncut unfiltered was an unlabeled one so i you know i burned yeah. through that bottle and then the second round i was like oh well it's you know we, we're, we're batched up now and then i found it on the website i'm like all right they're hitting that that run of people are after what they perceive to be limited. And oh, you mentioned that earlier. Yeah, we, we've got Tim's question up here. We never it, answered. It's been it. up here forever. You know, it'll Tim, stick. He's, he's probably gone. He's probably like, man, nah, fuck those guys. <laughs> Tim's a glutton for punishment. He'll, he'll come in and make sure that the box Tim, that are trying to like, the only thing that works for casinos is what you give them for free. <laughs> That's what they want. Free. 
So it's got to be free. So you, you so we, what you're saying is there's no casino collaboration that's going to happen. Uh, no, I shouldn't say that because like independents like Palazzo Venetian, mm-hmm. uh, Cosmo to some degree MGM, but uh, do, you'll never Caesars is uh, like totally corporate compliant. Wait, by the way, corporate compliant means you have to comply with their profit margin, which means free. Gotcha. You get it for free. And, See, I told uh, you he didn't leave. He's still here. <laughs> He's still hanging out. Tim, Tim will hang out forever. So yeah, that was that was the irony of everything. Is like we're like we're going to open in Las Vegas and get in the casinos, and it's going to be awesome. And and this was it's still like I, this market is still generated by tourists. More more mm-hmm. tourists know about the brand than locals, you know. And um, I I always tell the story where last uh i don't even remember when it was but i was in chicago and we'd go to restaurants and uh waiters knew who i was and then here i go to i came back and i was like all on this high i'm like yeah man just mm-hmm. blown up and i like uh, i went um i go to uh stitch stitched in cosmo uh to get um sammy invited me to get a sport coat and then i because he probably knew my personality that i get addicted to having made into there but so i was like oh i'm gonna stop by vesper the lobby bar because they carry it and, I, and i'm like hey can you get a smoke wagon and the guy's like i don't know if i have that let me look he's like oh las vegas is local like yeah he's like is it any good i was like i, I think it's good but you know i make it it's all biased <laughs> he's like oh cool well good luck it's hard hard to get in the bourbon <laughs> Like, do you know who i am i'm kind of a big deal you know you don't don't want to do that but i was like thanks cool all right i'll go home now (laughs) so so you 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 tagged it there you said you you got a jacket and you think they were trying to hook you because they know that you're gonna have to have a maiden so you've got this you've got this hat oh they know yeah because i've got this beautiful hat you have you have an attachment to certain things that you like to just like really kind of expand on so do you have to be certified to wear a hat like that? Like, do you have to have some sort of a credential? Because, like, I love no. it, but I also don't think that I have what it takes to wear one, right? You just got to do it, man. I don't – that that was the funny thing is uh, I when I was younger, I didn't have the balls to wear them all the time. Mm-hmm. So I always wore – I've always worn hats. Mm-hmm. The thing that stopped me from wearing hats uh, – and it's funny because – so I had really crazy. I mean, if you follow my personal Instagram, you see me without a hat. It's not like I'm bald, but mm-hmm. nothing. Not that there's anything wrong with being bald. You have a beautifully shaped head. <laughs> no, I don't. It's lumpy <laughs> as hell. You don't. You don't have to sell me on anything. I know what my head but, is. It's fine. But in two, in 2017, I got really. I got uh, you know superbug bacterial resistant sepsis. Wow. It was septic for like two days and. Um, they, you know, at the end, they don't tell you what's going on until the end of it. And they're like, we can't believe you live. Nobody ever lives. I was like, cool. Thanks. And so um, we thought you were going to die for like 10 hours. We just didn't. Tell yeah. You. Well, no, for two days, they yeah. thought I was going to die because you've got six to 20 hours. Mm-hmm. And I had super bug bacteria in my blood for two days. So because none of the antibiotics were working. I remember my, my girlfriend at the time. I told her I had a super bug and she said, you think you're so special that just because you're in the hospital that you've got a special infection. That, 
I was like, we're in that, the hospital. That, that was your girlfriend at the time. I like you phrased that with my girlfriend at the time. That's not a oh, no, obviously not talk. a keeper at that point. She, no, we we had differences, but she was she was awesome. If it wasn't for her, I don't even know if I would have gone to the hospital because she drove me. Right. And um, but uh, but anyhow, I oh, so I used to wear these Borsellino fedoras and the Borsellino um, like the paperboy style hats. And and the only and then before that I wore vintage Stetsons that were like kind of like a fedora, but they were like that hybrid hybrid of fedora western hat. And that was when I drove trucks and when I did construction and when I opened my store. And I was always in overalls and work boots and and western plaid shirts. I wore western plaid shirts western shirts because I would always lose buttons on regular shirts. And now my father always wore cowboy boots and always he was from Jacksonville, Florida. He still is from Jacksonville, Florida. And he had horses growing up. Cause you know, back then that that's what it was. And, yeah. And, um, and so I, growing up in the Northeast, I was like, dad, why you gotta wear cowboy boots? Why I always have to wear hats? Nobody does that up here. And he's like, he's like, cause they're comfortable. And I was like, okay. And, and, and so I, when I opened my first bar, I was like, I'm not getting dirty all the time for a living. I'm going to try to be fashionable. And one of the businesses that I had before the bar is I bought this piece of like kind of crappy real estate. And that was where I rented a, a space to flee where he did his music school and vice back when they were not, when they were actually relevant and cool and they had a retail space. And so I started buying stuff there and I tried to be fashionable. And so instead of wearing like these vintage Stetson hats, I started wearing like Borsalino fedoras and stuff. And then all the douchebags started wearing fedoras. So there's no more fedoras. And then my hair started turning gray. And uh, I was like, man, I can't dress like this. I feel like I'm too youthful, you know? And I know, and also because of the Vice LA store, they had all the Adidas uh, reissues, like the vintage reissues. So mm-hmm. all these crazy sneakers and everything. And I was like, man. So I was talking to my dad. And I said, Dad, I don't want to wear sneakers anymore. I, I, I don't, I'm done. You know, but I'm like looking at, sh- I want a pair of snakeskin boots, but everything I'm looking at is just, I'm not feeling it. And he's like, he said, son, you know what you have to do? You have to get a pair of cowboy boots. They go good with dungarees. They could go with slacks. And they go with trousers. And I was like, what's the difference between slacks and trousers? You got to explain that one to me, but okay. And he was right, man. I got a pair mm-hmm. of cowboy boots and it changed my, I got a good pair. I didn't get shitty ones. I got a pair of like black jacks. That's when I first started buying black jacks, handmade in El Paso, you know, lemonwood peg soles, nine iron leather, steel shank, all that. And suddenly my feet didn't hurt anymore. I could be in the bar standing for nine hours and my feet did not hurt. And I, and it changed everything. So now here I am in the desert and like walking around in the sun. I'm like, uh, where's my, I put on one of my fedoras. I'm like, this looks stupid. You know, cause I was, I was flipping the brim up all the way. So I didn't look like, you know, but I was like, this doesn't work. So that's when I started buying cowboy hats and uh, I start off with flat brim ones but the only ones you get flat brim are those palm leaf ones, and they're mm-hmm. so heavy. Like, and that was the other thing. So at the end of the that day, doesn't fit for Vegas much. 
yeah heat wise. No, and wait, like at the end of the day, I was just like, get this fucking thing off my head. And so I'd take a shower and go out. And so people who saw me during the day knew me as the guy that was in the cowboy hat all the time. And people saw me at night as like two personalities. And even like in LA, like people that worked at Trader Joe's near my bar that saw me during the day would see me at night. But like, where's your hat? You like go out without a hat? I'm like, yeah, I do. And then, um, and then uh that happened so all the <laughs> man what a long story about hat <laughs> go through to a basically i asked the 50, question 15 years of history on my hat um so i um uh, i went to a meeting uh during the day with a beverage director for a casino who is known to be particularly difficult to deal with and I crushed the meeting and the sales rep told everyone like how Aaron came in there with his cowboy hat on his cowboy boots and blah, blah, blah was talking and he leaned back and he put his feet up on the coffee table. was like, let me tell you something. You don't know anything about this industry. You're just repeating stuff that like lies have been told to you. And Mm -hmm. this is how it really is. And he'd be like, I didn't know that. And I was like, I know you don't. And I was like, dude, if you like this, buy it. If you don't, don't. I'm not going to, like, sell it. It's like it works mm-hmm. or it doesn't. And uh, and so I, we had a nighttime meeting. And so I've been going out with sales reps all the time, talking about Aaron and his cowboy hat. And then I show up with no hat. And they're like, where's your hat? I was like, well, it's night. It's not sunny. I usually don't wear them at night. They're like, you got to wear it. No, no. <laughs> we <laughs> we need the in. persona. <laughs> you yeah, have you to can't. have that. You can't. So that's when I had to start buying nicer. So then... I was like, okay, well, I can't wear these palm leaf hats all day and all night because they weigh 800 pounds. So that's when I started mm-hmm. buying the lightweight straw ones. And um, uh, I had some beaver felt ones, but they were so thick and so heavy and for Vegas. You know, now I, well, whatever, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, yeah, so that was the thing. And once I started buying the lightweight ones, they were real like cowboy hats. They weren't flat brims. They kind of looked like cowboy hats. And then... uh Man, I was doing an event in Cave Creek, Arizona, and I saw this hat shop called Watson's Hat Shop, who I tag, and they never give me any love except when I call them to give them more fucking money. But damn, this guy's like, like everything is made from scratch. They don't use factory blanks. They, they, you know, because a lot of places you go there, it's like I got a custom hat. It's like mm-hmm. no, you didn't. You got a factory blank, and they shaped it and trimmed it. It's not custom. Custom is where they semi, measure your head. Custom. It's yeah. Custom. custom is where they build the hat to fit your head from right. nothing. That is custom. And uh, the first one I got was cool and I loved it. And then I bought this signature felt stuff that he was like, you'll wear this instead of straw because it breathes so well the way I finish it. And he was right. And um, so what you're and saying then is that, he, he doesn't have to give you any credit whatsoever because his quality is just that damn good. Yeah, for sure. And then Brim Makers, who does the hat bands, I had wanted this hat because when I was a kid and I did want to dress like my dad, mm-hmm. that was like the height of, you know, um, man, that was like late 70s, early 80s. That was uh, Urban Cowboy. And I remember mm-hmm. these hat bands and even like, you know, uh, what JR had a feather hat band and, um, you know, 
yeah, I mean, I remember everybody talking, who shot JR? Uh, hey, that's how old I am. I can remember that being a huge phenomenon. Everybody showing up at school wearing a who shot Dallas. JR shirt. It was a damn board game. Did you ever have yeah. to play the, the Dallas board game? No, but, <laughs> but, um, yeah. And, and so I, and I had been looking for one forever and they all kind of sucked. And then I went on Etsy and I found her and I was like, those are legit. That's it. That's the hat band. And so I started buying them and then I started following her on Instagram and I saw like she started sharing articles where she's been where people were writing about her in like 79 or 80 or 81 because so she's been doing it the whole time. It's like, mm-hmm. well, that's why they're legit because she's legit. And um, so you have you, what you what you effectively have is you have the most custom of custom hats because you've got a custom hat maker and a custom band maker and you push them together to make this 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 beautiful creation. Yes. Yeah. I've always, yeah. It's, uh, so, you know, the thing is, um, I don't know. You just got to do it, man. You, you know, I mean, I, I was always that way with like everything else. Uh, it's just like, Hey, whatever. I'm going to wear what I want or do what I right. want. And so you, you're also into like a bunch of things, cigars. Yeah. Right. Like, so you see so like cigars, what, is the which what's the cigar what's what's the cigar you go to right now that's like the thing or do you have like a, a, a is it situational it's situational so lately because it's been so hot i've been waking up early and eating eating breakfast early and and having a cigar and coffee after breakfast like why it's still cool out so it's been uh killer bee connecticut's regular killer bees that other thing they have, I think it's called Defiance, Defiance Porcelain, the new Aladino uh, Classic. Those are so good. I even had some Aladino Reserve, Corojo Reserves that have been aging for about six or eight months, and they're really nice now. Those are great because they're all like 45-minute cigars, you know, so that's kind of what, which I prefer anyhow. Um this is, this is a coffee cigar. Like so, this is this is like morning coffee cigars. Is that where we're at? Yeah. Okay. Do Do you have a coffee that you put with it? Like, do you are you a coffee person too? Or are you just I have coffee and I drink it. No, I, I mean I don't know. I usually drink Black Rifle, but it's okay. like it's so weird. I don't I don't know if it's because they blew up or or uh, there was all that weird stock stuff. But now some people hate them. Now I don't know. I I like mm-hmm. the way it tastes. I I prescribe to it. Uh, so, I have the subscription, so it's easy. It comes to my house. Um, before that, I was drinking like a lower, a local roaster, um, mm-hmm. Boulder City, which is you know pretty close. But yeah, all right. So Al- Aladino with a coffee, because it's you know, I, everybody has a like a whiskey pairing with or whiskey and, and, and cigar pairing, but not everybody has a coffee and cigar pairing. And that's you know that's what? You, well, I can give you a coffee and whiskey pairing. Hot coffee is great with uh, is great with um, uncut unfiltered. Ice coffee is much better with uncut the younger. You know, put some whiskey. Ice and uncut the younger. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, here's an adult pairing for you: um, the Tums multi fruit ones go with anything. So just get those. <laughs> I just bypassed Tums altogether and moved straight into the pills. Give me a pill. Oh, the pills just, are bad. 
I know they are. I'm not. Just get the I'm smoothies, man. You know, it's, the smoothies are delicious. My wife is a Tums aficionado. I'll let her know. You know, we'll, 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 we'll yeah, kind of that's, that a, that's a pairing for you that nobody's really talking about, and they should. You know, <laughs> there, there's a certain age where that pairing makes a lot of sense, <laughs> and I'm that age, and you're that age, but not necessarily every. Tim's probably not. He looks like he's a young guy. Um, so you like motorcycles, right? And oh and yeah, I love them. You posted this uh, the the, the soft tail Harley I think earlier this week or maybe it was last yeah. week I don't know, and that's the first time that I've seen a non traditional Harley. And I was like, that is I a like very polarizing a bike. It's pretty funny, it, and, it, and the it, more I do to it, the more the more I make it like a naked sport bike, the more polarizing it gets. This, this my immediate thought was it looked like somebody took a cafe racer and a naked sport bike and it had a child like that's yeah my immediate thought was that with that all that it, harley torque you know yeah because I mean, yeah, i've harley... had a passion for like cafe racers my entire life like that's, oh, yeah. that's, the, that's the bike for me you know i don't i don't like street bikes i don't necessarily like cruisers but that uncomfortable thing that you know you ride for well an hour so yeah it's, it's, it's got like moto it's more like a street tracker yep. than a but Except for the pegs, because it's got, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, I mean, look, I used to have rate, I used to have a couple MV Agustas and, you know, mm-hmm. when I was younger, man, and like, I can ride, I can rail on that Harley, but when I get home, I can walk. Right. When I used to, when I used to go for a two hour ride on like my MV Agusta race bike, I'd get off that thing and be like, oh, and that was like when I was young. You lay down on the driveway yeah, you know. for a half an hour to get your oh my shoulders again. hurt my hip you know you're, you've got those rear sets so your hips are all cramped my mm-hmm. hips hurt my shoulders hurt my wrists hurt everything it's hurt. not a mode of comfort at all yeah i mean the brutality it was one of the it was a 910r i think it was like a 2007 or 2008 that at least had comfortable from the waist up you were comfortable my mm-hmm. hips still hurt my knees still hurt but like uh, you know so this is i don't know it's cool man it's like totally I love Harleys. Um, I love making them go fast when they're not supposed to, you know, mm-hmm. and I love how you can hot rod them out and you can do anything and you can make it how you want. And you can buy all these parts and. It, they're a distinct group of people that love Harleys. And I think you, you maybe you've glitched or I glitch. I don't know which one it is, but I'll keep talking. My, my uncle was hugely into Harleys for a very long time and I'll never remember, I'll never forget towards the end of his uh, career, he retired and um, his goal was to purchase a Harley and he goes out and he buys it exactly the way he wants it. It gets delivered maybe a year or a year and some change later. And uh, he goes out for his first ride. He's got a pack of cigarettes in the front pocket of his shirt and he's cruising down the road and the pack of cigarettes falls out on the ground and he swings around, comes back and he's going to do the cool thing and lean over and grab a hold of it and, um, pick it up off of the road, and he immediately lays the bike down. You know, like when one week after getting the bike, he lays it down, and that's like the saddest day. But um, he enjoyed the shit out of it, enjoyed that bike forever. So it looks like we've lost Aaron. He may join us back again. Um, yeah, Tim, in, in Chicago, those are cowboy hats. In, in anywhere in the world, those are cowboy hats. Um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll hang out for a second and see if Aaron uh, makes his way back into this thread. Um, but I, you know, I've the, the conversation has been great. We've had a lot of fun things to talk about. And so if he doesn't make his way back to chat, uh, we'll be all right with that. 
um, talking with people like Aaron is the reason why I began this podcast. Um, you know, I, I, I remember watching the fallout from the, um, bourbon enthusiast barrel pick that happened and ended up being what called bourbon karma, um, and how they handled it. And I thought, you know, this, this is a guy that has a passion for what he's doing. He is incredibly invested and it's not a money grab. You know, a lot of, a lot of new brands can be what you might consider an attempt to make more money to, to be as profitable as possible to do whatever. And he doesn't seem to have that mentality, the, the, the expectation, the, the way that he managed that situation through and through was um, kind of a, 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 a way to give a brand an identity, which I mean, the brand already had an identity, um, but it just maybe um, brought to the forefront what it really meant, who it really was. He, he's back now. Looks like he's back. Let me, we'll bring him back in here. What hey, what happened? I don't know. Was that me or was that you? I don't know. I checked my router and it said I was connected to the internet. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I it easily could have been me. I aimlessly rambled for about, you know, five minutes. I was able to keep it going. It's fine. But yeah, um, uh, I, we're just saying I love Harley's yep. um, and they're American, you know, it's kind of. Yep. My, my uncle up the road, he worked at a tire factory for his entire career. And when he went to retire, that was the first thing he wanted. He was like, I'm, I'm going to buy a Harley. I'm going to ride. I'm going to do whatever. A uh, week after he went and ordered it exactly the way he wanted it, the specific purple color, the specific fairies, the specific chrome, all of these things, and went for a ride down the road and a pack of cigarettes in the pocket of a shirt because, you know, that's <laughs> what you do. You have a pocket of shirt, and it flies out, and he loops around, and he comes back, which he'd been riding before, um, and he leans over to pick it up. He's like, I'm going to do the cool thing. Lean over, immediately lays the bike over, just scratches up the tank, scratches oh. up the – but that yeah. can be freeing, right? Because <laughs> now – you don't have to worry. Like he got it fixed, it buffed out or whatever, but it kind of right. takes that edge off of like, I've got to put it in a glass case. I've got to make sure it doesn't get hurt because it's meant to be oh, ridden. I like the way it, whiskey's man. meant to be drank, Harley's yeah. motorcycles, they're all meant to be ridden. Yeah, it was weird because, you know, before I never had any free time. So I just, uh, I, had a, I had a 2017 road glide, like that was perfect for the desert because mm -hmm. you're on the freeway. No matter where you go, you're on the freeway a lot for the most part. Right. And then, um, and then I started riding more and more as I had more free time. And I was like, oh, I was really maxing out the suspension. And because I was pushing, I was riding it. I was railing on that sucker. And so that's when I bought the CVO. And then I got I started riding that more and more and more. And then I was like, I want more, man. I want something lighter. And uh and so that's when I bought the fat bob. And like, so I have another one, a low rider S that's in pieces. And <laughs> I was like, the fat bob. I bought the fat Bob because throughout the whole process, I mean, I never wrote it totally stock. We put exhaust, a cam and mm -hmm. uh air cleaner on it day one. And then, um, but I've had fun on that bike. And so every time something I wanted showed up, we put it on, but the bike's never been down and I've been love. I love it so much. And I'll tell you smoking guys on sport bikes in the turns on that is the greatest joy i've it's so much fun i mean i used mm -hmm. to do it like when i had a dyna i had this uh a dyna switchback in la and i'd ri be riding two two up with a girl on the back and 
you know, and that's the thing. Like when I rode my Italian bikes, I was like with leather pants, leather jacket. Blah, and I was like, ah, and then Harley, I'm like, I'm going to free man. Like wearing a t-shirt. Now when I really go railing on right. the fat Bob, I'll put on my race pants, but, uh, but it's just, you know, it's like, I even had one guy where I pulled over and he like followed me into this turnout he was like, what? I had to see what you were on. You're on a Harley. I was like, yeah, man, I'm on a Harley. He's like, I've never had anybody on a Harley pass me before. That doesn't feel right to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was, Some, he was on like, here. he was on a Honda, the, um, not the Fireblade, which is the super crazy one, but the one right down from that. Mm -hmm. But still, he was like, I didn't know. I was like, yeah. I mean, look, if we were someplace where you could go 180, I'm not going to go 180. Right. With no fairing in this motor. I mean, I'll probably max out at like one thing. Like you could eat, but on the street, like, right. You know, it's so much more fun for me. And then also having that no fairing and the upright riding position, like you can see, you can make the apex of a turn faster because you've got better visibility. And that's what, and then you've got those moto bars. And that's what it's all about. Cause like in a racetrack, it's flat. You can see around the turn when you're hanging off that thing with your elbow on the ground. In the street, you can't. You can't see right. shit. You, you're you're going to see you shrubberies. Need you need a head up. Yeah. So you got to be up and high, like kind of hanging off the bike. And then once you have that apex made, then and you want all that leverage of those motorbars to counter steer like as fast as possible and then goose it, making that second half of the turn. And I mean, you can do whatever you want. That's what I feel is relatively safe as opposed mm -hmm. to going to – I mean, I see these videos of these guys on Instagram taking their sport bikes where I used to go. A, they're, they're, it, they're exaggerating. They are putting knees down in places where I remember – I can go back and watch my videos on my GoPro 1 where I'm going faster than they were with no knee pucks on my pants, no knee touching down. And they're like, fucking got their elbow dragging on the ground. I'm like you guys right. just doing that for Instagram. But now don't age yourself by saying GoPro one. Don't, don't do that to yourself. <laughs> age is what it is, man. You either getting older, or you're dead. There's right. No, yeah. Uh... <laughs> that's, everybody's like, Oh, you feel good about getting older. I'm like, it's better than the alternative. You have two exactly. options. Exactly. Yep. Um, so it's not just, it's not just bikes. It's not just cigars. It's not just whiskey. It's cars too. Right, like you, yep. you have a car, you have a you have a, a collection thing. Like, what did you did you collect something when you were a kid? No, because I didn't fucking have any. Well, no, not really. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. No, I, I mean I didn't have any money as a kid. I mean I had a paper route right away, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, maybe Star Wars figures or something like that. But that was just like, uh, yeah. Because this is what I usually find with like people that that, that are into cigars or they're into cars or, or motorcycles. Like when they were a kid, they had they had figurines or they had baseball cards or they had something that they collected, and they just got adult money, and so they started collecting adult things. No, because for me, it's all about the experiences. It's kind mm -hmm. of this argument I get in with the guy that does the cars. the The bike guys understand it. Like I'm like, I want this bike, and I want it to do this. They're like, yeah, man, this would be cool. We get mm -hmm. it. All right, you know. And the cars, it's like I want this car for this driving experience, and so I want to do this. And the guy's like, but this car is too nice, and you're gonna you need to put it on a trailer to haul it to where you're gonna go. Yeah, and you drive it and, off the and, trailer, and you show it to people. And he's like, well, your engine stuff. And I'm like, I want to do this is to make it perform better. He's like, oh, but it's so nice. I'm like, who gives a shit? Who's going to see it? No right. one. Me. I don't go to shows. Right. I'm not fucking driving to cars and coffee. 
everything I have is to get away. I want to go for a drive by either with a, a girl or myself mm-hmm. and to get away and like go and have this experience. And that's why I like the old cars, even like the Monte Carlo with the global West suspension and, and all mm-hmm. that it's still an analog experience and it's cool. And it's got an eight track. You put the phone in the back and you like pick out what eight tracks you're going to take for the drive. And, you know, and again, that motor is not built to match the fucking suspension. So, so I, every, I'm like in this fight with him, like I want headers and I want heads and I want a new manifold. And I want, he's like, Oh, but Oh, it looks so good. Like, it's already too late. The cat's out of bag. Dude, we did fucking 17 and 18 inch wheels and suspension. It doesn't look, it's not a restoration. Like let's make the motor match, you know? Right. And so, um, and even the bikes, it's like the CVO, I can fucking cruise on that. I, I've got my seat has removed. I can put the backrest on and just put it in cruise control and do whatever. It's fun to go slow. The low rider I'm uh, building is like kind of be a cruiser and it'll look super like mm-hmm. I won't be able to park that thing anywhere. I'll get stolen. And then the fat bob is just people like, what? Like there's people like, holy shit, that thing's a ripper. Oh my God, I want that bike. And then there's other people like, I don't get it. Like, why is the seat orange and the handlebar is orange? And like, what's, are you two? I don't understand. Like, what's happening? <laughs> you, know? you don't understand like, it wasn't meant for you. And that, and that yeah. be okay. So, so you like analog experience. Are you a vinyl record guy? I have eight tracks. I don't have eight tracks. Records. So that, that's where you're at. Yeah. I mean, I do have some records. I just don't have a record player. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, I went home and got a bunch of my records for my parents. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I do have an old stereo. I've got a Sansui amp from the from seventy two and some um, what do you call it? Uh, the Advent uh, the bookshelf, the smaller bookshelf speakers. They crank, yeah. they're great for my office. I found those new old stock. There, there's something about those analog experiences with its you know eight tracks, cassettes, vinyl. You if you want to like move forward in, 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 in somebody's recording, you know, you, you're listening yeah. to an album. There's not an exact science, like with a CD, with a, with your iPhone or whatever, you just jump to the next track. But like with tapes, with records, you like, uh, I think it's sort oh, of, like especially eight, yeah. I mean, you can fast forward an eight track, but man, you don't want to, that's no. a gamble. <laughs> that thing, could, you could break the splice. You could, right. The, you either could, the eight track falls apart or you end up halfway in the middle of the next song, not exactly where you want to be. And so it, you're forced. It, I was talking yeah. to a, a musician a couple months ago and I said, you know, like anytime I listen to a new album, I listen to it end to end because I grew up at a time whenever they crafted it in a specific way, right? Track one meant something, two, three, four. There's a, there's a chronology of what they're trying to experience. An eight track vinyl cassette they all sort of enforce that behavior because you right. couldn't easily jump ahead. So they had to take you on some sort of an analog journey. Yes. I love that. Well, a track usually gets screwed up though, because you know, they have to rearrange the songs to fit right. on the track. And that right. was one of the big gripes about them is like the album wasn't, it wouldn't be in the right order or you're listening to a song and it fades out. And then that, changes tracks and it comes right. in but as the but creator, they still have to think about that thing they have to think about okay well now we have to take what our original thing was and like how do we make it work here you know? yeah and it, it's not just like we throw them in a storage device and now you can just have 40 yeah. million songs and i i remember driving down the road like flipping through a cd thing like oh here it is you know or yeah. tape deck. oh yeah i remember that going on road trips 
and i think i'd want to rock out the whole time but like with after an hour you're like listening to the softest stuff just like <laughs> la, 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 yeah. la. you you end like, up yeah, on public radio that's where you you end up on public yeah, radio yeah, where, you like, know, somebody's like, yeah got just a dulcet tone talking about you know international politics you don't care you can just ignore <laughs> no. it or it's no, like for, for me music. it's like it's like female musicians like sing right. singer songwriter like you're just like oh yeah fucking rock and then after an hour it's like ah my head sing, hurts sing, uh, my heart sing, rate's yes. a little elevated i gotta slow sing, down a bit. sing to me let me let me hear you <laughs> yeah so what what's your what's your favorite car to road trip in like so because you, you know you, now, you do drives out into the desert you go out and kind of do stuff but like if you're gonna like i'm gonna drive for like eight hours if you had to pick a I classic not, car you know you're not classic gonna drive car, no i don't want to drive anywhere for eight hours no 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 <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> easy answer uh, yeah I don't. It's too long. It it is a long drive, but you know, like I said, I live in rural Western Kentucky, the closest good airport, two and a half hours from here. So we're oh, just yeah. like used to like you want to go somewhere, you're gonna drive five ever. You know, like it, it, it's gonna be a whole experience. Um, I have a couple more questions, but you know, I, I don't have a ton. I want to go back a little bit. Let's shifting slightly back into whiskey. You were talking about rare and limited whiskeys, and that big, you know, that that's a place where whiskey nerds get off um there's no money in it right you, you made the no. statement there's no money in rare and limited whiskeys no. um what are, what are your feelings or thoughts on how retailers combat secondary markets right because you have this like secondary market where people can sell a bottle for an inflated price and as a retailer you have a choice of selling it at retail and watching someone else make 800 extra dollars which probably doesn't make a ton of difference in your bottom line at the end of the year but like somebody's profiting off your thing or do you sell it at that price like what, what do you think are you allowed to say anything about that as a as a seller of well, I, I have no, i can't influence i mean that's that's mm-hmm. the thing that like you know i keep telling people i was like man you want to look pro don't use msrp mm-hmm. there's no such thing as msrp the manufacturer does not suggest the retail price that is a violation of the three-tier system and mm-hmm. that is a manufacturer influencing a retailer it's srp and the only people we can suggest a retail price to is the distributor and you know and they have to tell the retailer um you know i think it's uh it's all it's a tough question to answer because you you look all i can tell you is what i do and that is price the stuff based on how much it costs to bottle and Mm -hmm and the juice and all the things that I normally use as my formula to figure out pricing. I'm not going to be like, you know, the one thing that was really super expensive was the experimental ride. Cause I had to pay out the butt for those barrels, you know, and it is what it is. <laughs> just mm-hmm. how it goes, man. I'm sorry. Uh, but, um, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to cash in on anything cause my plan is to be here for a long time. And so, what whatever happens to the market will happen and if it doesn't collapse then whatever mm-hmm. but if it does people people you can fall out of favor nothing lasts forever you mm-hmm. know or, or you maybe you could get it to last forever but it's going to take work and it's going to it's going to you have to have the understanding that nothing lasts forever and if you want to continue a relationship with with your whether it's your fan base or or the or the people that are buying your product 
regularly or whatever it is, appreciate them. And that's what I try to do by giving everything to a distributor at a price that is reasonable, where everything that if you bought it using the basic formula, what I sell to a distributor to, what they sell to a retail for, if everybody marks it up their percentage, I want everything to be a perceived deal. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, you're going to get guys that like, oh, I would the uncut and filtered is only worth this much, in my opinion. I'm like, what? Okay, what's that based on? Uh, you know, nothing. Anecdotal evidence. It, it's always <laughs> yeah. based off of anecdotal evidence, yeah. like so what their opinion of a thing is worth. You're always going to get haters or whatever, but I think mm-hmm. for the most part, everything I do is a perceived value, and that's important to me because I. I'm trying to get it into the hands of the people that enjoy it because they're the ones who are going to give us longevity and tell their friends. And then obviously you're going to have people that are growing up and, you know, oh, smoke wagon is good. Or they're, they're coming to the age where they want to buy bourbon and they're like, oh, smoke wagon is good. And and everybody's, be, you know, there's, so there's just a, a positive. You're moving into a, a positivity, not like, oh, man, they fucking they were doing great but then they overpriced their rare and limiteds and so so that's that's my attitude it's like whatever it's like we're here forever the amount of money i'm going to make on uh 25 cases of a single barrel ain't shit compared to like effortlessly moving things that are perceived values and so my goal is you know to focus on making sure that every bottle of straight every bottle of uncut the younger every bottle of uncut unfiltered and small batch is like what is good as good as i can do it you know and um and then for me the rare and limiteds were supposed to be fun experimental things to get out and people could drink them and that was the whole point behind doing ten thousand bottles all the same because i get them at a good price and then i come across something cool or i decide to make something cool and i just write on the label and then we can we have these color coordinated metals that mm-hmm. represent the brand so that differentiates each one and of course i got hate on those people like, oh my God, what are these like participation metals it's like dude i'm just trying to figure out a way to get this out the most affordable way possible you right. know like i didn't put it in a gift box because a gift box by the time it comes to retail minimum twenty dollars that's for a shit one so, like, right. you see the stuff that's, like, five years old, and it's, like, $140. I guarantee you, like, $60 of that's a fucking gift box with a pillow, oh, yeah. and, you know, and all that shit. So, so for me, and that's why there really hasn't been a rare and limited except for the online-only ones, because those are barrels that I've been planning on for years. Mm-hmm. Because there's no reward for me creativity, you know, creatively to do a rare and limited and not have people drink it and just have retailers sell it for too much or have backdoor deals with consumers who put it on secondary and then those people buy it and nobody's opening it. That because there's no money in it, you know. Right. And so the reward for me is hey guys, I created this. I think it's cool. I hope you like it. And like, nom, 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 nom. oh, it is I, I wanna, cool, man. This right, is great. You, you want to get the feedback on whether it was actually <laughs> yeah. cool or not, not like see yeah. an infinite number of pictures of somebody having it sitting on their shelf and being an asshole about, well, I have the thing, but it's a speculative purchase. I'm not going to actually open yeah. it at all. You know? mm. Yeah. So, so that's, you know, so that, that, and, and I think, um, I, you know, I think retailers, they should have the same. Well, you're, nobody's going to get rich off having a bottle for two grand. 
Like, what's that, is that going to change your life? Wouldn't you rather establish a relationship with a customer and like, you know, hey, maybe only one person gets the bottle and you don't really make any money off of it, but they're going to appreciate that. And then you have stuff that like they're going to buy in volume and they're right. ma- and people are making decisions with their money on where to go shopping. And I would think that you would generate more goodwill with customers by, you know, hooking up a regular like when i go buy guns when i go buy rare guns they give me a deal on it Mm because they know (laughs) i spent so much money there or like i you know what i mean it's it's, you're gonna be back they're aware that you're going to be back and that's like i understand that's the the position that retailers end up in is that if they've got they get 50 allocated and rare bottles on any given year if they only have 30 customers that might actually buy them. The other 20 now, they stick it on the shelf and some asshat's going to flip it. Or well, so, so by the way, not you it. can't, not all allocated stuff is created equal. Right. I, you, I don't have brand ambassadors out there saying you need to buy this much silver dollar. You need to buy this dollar amount of silver dollar and this dollar amount of straight. If you want to get this right. And so now, especially bars, you know, like if if I'm not a brand going to bar saying, if you want to have this bottle, you have to sell this dollar amount, by the way, which is totally illegal. But, hey, I'm just going to pay the fines because that's part of my business practice, right? That's not me. I'm not doing that. I never tell anybody, but that's a practice, right? Mm -hmm. So you have this practice where allocated bottles are meant to drive the sales of less desirable things. and. In that case, the retailers like trying to make up all their money because they're like pressured to move all this shit. So Mm -hmm. they don't get a, you know, they they're not necessarily getting a deal, a case break. Like, oh, if I buy a pallet, can I get a deal? No, you got to sell it though if you want that special thing. So now they're they're trying to take their allocated bottle to make up for the money they lost trying to move all the shit that they had to move to get the allocated ball. I don't think that we're, I don't ever see anybody like price gouging straight to (laughs) move a certain amount of it to get something rare for me. Mm -hmm. Cause that'll that does not come from me and it does not come from the distributors. And, you know, uh, so it's like, so, so not all brand allocations are created equal. You know what I mean? Like some allocations, yeah. it's like, fuck, I got to make up for all that money I fucking lost selling that dog How much shit. Wheatley vodka do you have <laughs> sell to be able to do some other things? And I, I understand what you're saying. And I think that you, whether intentionally or inadvertently, have identified a better way to combat the brand ambassador concept. You know, a brand ambassador or, uh, you know, a local rep, whatever, sales rep, however you want to phrase them, um, their job is to push something like they're pushing yeah. this volume, this product, this whatever. But by creating, um, I don't know if super fans is the right word or creating, you know, uh, apostles or disciples or whatever you want to create. Like they're going uh, I mean, into the retailer asking for the product. Yes. So they're pulling now. And now the retailer yeah. is asking the distributor, distributor saying, hey, can we get Again, this thing? Not, none of this is like a calculated, <laughs> like this, right. you know. Okay. So that, that, that was, that, that becomes the thought. Like you've, 
inadvertently done this thing, but you've created what may be a more efficient system where you're not having to push crap to be able to sell other things. Yes. You're getting a legitimate idea of what I, people I am want. told repeatedly that it's amazing, like from distributors of things to have a brand that people are asking for. And all I did was the complete opposite of everything every supplier did to me as a retailer and that made me fucking crazy and that i hated and so when i came into this you know by 2016 i was 15 years into the bar business mm -hmm. and i was so over the bullshit and so over the and so go going way back to <laughs> two hours ago talking about the instagram there was all these videos that were a reaction to me dealing with the supplier in the bar business and i'm like hey you know what's bullshit this is bullshit or you know mm -hmm. there is no definition for single barrel i mean it's funny because even like my first videos on the private barrels people look at the back of a private barrel now and go this tastes it with no duh it's a single barrel they weren't real back then okay mm -hmm. When we did our first private barrel, my biggest complaint from sales reps from the distributors, why is there only 22 cases? And I said, it's a nine-year barrel. How many do you expect there to be? And they'd like, be like, oh, well, from you know Breckenridge, we get 60 cases. I was like, oh, do you? Let's do the math on a brand-new 53-gallon barrel. You know? Were and, they using large casks? Like, no, they, they it's a barrel... Like program and the way they got away with calling it a barrel program is you got a barrel so mm -hmm. if you bought these cases you got an empty barrel and i mean i talked to guys who've been in the business forever and big brands they'd come in and say how many cases you want in your bot your barrel pick and they'd be like uh i don't know what like 50 and they pull out a roll of stickers and just go through the store and put stickers on fucking bottles and and that and so so when I came out with private barrel, I'm like, this is a real single barrel. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not going to taste like the one you had before. And there's not a lot of them. And like it was. And so when you look at that verbiage on the back of a label now, it's like, what? Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. But you got to understand as it recently as 2016, that that was unheard of. I mean, well, I mean, and no, there's still technically no definition of single barrel, right? Like, there's nobody. There is no definition of single barrel. You can. The put only difference is on the anything. consumer is smarter now, and they know yes. about how many bottles should come out of a barrel. There's still brands doing it, man. I just right. did a fucking Zoom or a Instagram live a year ago, and they were like, they just found out that somebody's barrel picks weren't barrels; they were blends. They were special blends. Right. And uh, which which can be a thing like that's another thing like you know like Penelope. By the way, I prefer that. that. Yep. I I'd rather you know because it's creative for me. Like right. finding barrels is cool and all, but you know, creating a custom blend for somebody they you know pick three or four barrels and you blend something out like that can be an exciting experience. There's a couple of brands that do that already, right? They, that, right. That's that's a thing, but you know, and and, and you you touched on the the single barrel or the private barrel. By the way, I don't even know if they ever passed the legislation that gave a definition of cast strength. I, I don't. I don't think the that's only the case. proposed legislation for cast strength was no water added after time of tax determination. Right? <laughs> tax you know determination. What, yeah, everybody knows what that means, right? Everybody's not in the business. <laughs> no, of course you don't know what it means. Why would you? Your time of tax determination is when you dump a barrel because. Everything you have, right? So everything we're doing is to generate money for the federal government. That is right. the only re the only yep. reason we exist as distillers. 
That mm-hmm. is what a bond is, right? So your bond is insurance on your tax. If everything burns down, your ins- property insurance is going to pay you for your losses. But the federal government's like, yo, your bourbon caught on fire. Let's transfer out a bond. Where's our taxes? And you're like, well, right. we don't have it. Yeah, you do. You got an insurance policy to pay us tax. Right. It's going to help cover is. that. Yeah. So um, your time of tax determination is your tax basis of a full barrel is based on 63.6 proof gallon or well, for us because it goes in at 120 proof and it's 53 gallons so 120 proof at 53 gallons is 63.6 proof gallons if you don't know a proof gallon is 100 proof so mm-hmm. anything that's more than 100 proof will be more proof gallons per per volume <laughs> and that is why everything is done in weight and proof you don't do anything in right. volume except for a bottle volume is wine gallons which we don't use so your time of tax determination is when you dump a barrel and you tell the federal government hey our tax basis is not 63.6 proof gallons we lost fucking i don't know 60 proof gallons or not 60 but like uh, you know 10 proof gallons so it's 53.6 proof gallons so that's our new tax basis and they go okay that's your time of tax determination so that means why that sucker is sitting there you can put as much water in as you want as long as you haven't dumped it yet right because adding water is not going to change your tax basis because you could have 53 gallons at 100 proof or you could have 40 gallons at 120 well, my math yeah. is wrong because I'm not doing exact like, yeah, conversions. Whatever the math works but, out to be it. If, if, if there's to be a math the same, nerd that shows up in the comments, they can eat shit. Like, we'll yeah, just leave it there, right? You know? But yeah, so your proof gallons but, with less volume can be the same as your proof gallon. will be the same if you add water. You're not changing right. the alcohol content. You're just changing the alcohol content per volume, but it's mm-hmm. still in the same vessel. So, uh, yeah, there's that. So that was one of the videos that I had up and people were like, what? Like, so when we had the thing happen, everybody started going to Instagram like, wait, what? There's no, there's no single barrel and cast strength doesn't mean anything. And this is bullshit. And that's bullshit. I was like, you know, and it's, um, even when I used to sneak people in there and I tell them about aging and tell them about stuff like this is the complete opposite of what I've been told every and every tour, <laughs> right? You know? well, I mean, you, you start telling the truth, it starts revealing something. I mean, because you think about what a, several distillers in, in Texas are doing, where because of the arid climate, because of the temperature, because of whatever, they're actually adding water in every year so they can continue to age. Because if they try to age it beyond, you know, four or five years, there's nothing left. Oh, yeah. It looks like black yeah, that, heroin that, or that, something. That's, you know? that's what would happen here. You'd have balsamic bourbon. Right, so you, you have bourbon. to add water while it's aging so it can continue to age, right? Like yeah. that that's part of the process. But that becomes a feature in Texas, but in Kentucky, it's like, well, why, why are you adding water? Why why would that happen, right? Well, yeah, because you're trying to get more in the end, maybe, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's so many things where, like, for me, it's always just like, I don't know, I'm just trying to make it taste better than everybody else. Right. You know? And it's like, I just feel like, do you guys even like bourbon? Because you're talking about how you did this, or you're talking about how you did that. I just try to make it taste better. I hope you like it. Does it really matter? Do you feel like, and this is the the thing that people always, when people find out you're like a whiskey nerd, they're like, all right, you know, what's the best whiskey? You know, what's the best price? Whatever. Like, if you buy a bottle and you drink it and you feel like you don't get ripped off for what you paid versus what you drink. Right. None of the rest of it matters. 
Yeah, did you enjoy that experience of drinking right. that? The rest of it becomes like some form of mental masturbation where we're just like, oh, well, we, I have, you know. Well, that, that you was know. like, there, there was some form, uh, not form, but bourbon group. And this guy was like, I bought a bottle of Uncut the Youngers. and any good? It's like, you bought it. Fucking go drink it, dude. It's it's like. You, you can know, literally <laughs> answer that question for yourself. Yeah, yeah. If you open it and put it in a clear vessel made out of molted sand that has dried you can put it in your orifice it doesn't even have to be clean it doesn't have to be clear you can make it green it can be any number any number of color drink it and if you don't like it hopefully you got it at a price point where it doesn't matter go make a cocktail or something it's not expensive you know but why are you listening to these people and all and then of course because everybody wants to hate oh it's gasoline oh it's hot garbage oh it's this it's like is it I don't know. I just had a beverage director and a five-star Michelin-rated chef in there, and they thought it was amazing. But hey, what right. does that chef know? He, he, you're the real expert, Mister. It's hot garbage guy. You know what I mean? It's like, why would you even go to these guys for advice? They just want to hate on shit anyhow. <laughs> it's real apparent. And okay, so it's hot garbage. Guess what? Well, because you purchased something that is, you know, so my bottle is fifty-seven point two two percent alcohol by volume add some water if it's too hot for you add some water you have yeah. a glass put it on ice see what happens. it'd be descriptive because like if i don't like something i'll tell you exactly why i don't like it i'm mm-hmm. not gonna be like oh that's dog shit i'll be like oh man it's too tannic or oh it's right they they don't cut their hearts right it's got i can tell it's got some bad alcohols in it or it's too oaky for me or i don't like the white way this flavor balances right. with this flavor which is my problem with basically every single finished product i've ever had and um so you're saying you're not going to do any finished products dude i would do a blend of rum and bourbon before i did a finished product at least then it could be exact at least i could like (laughs) but i don't want that i like Mm -hmm. the way bourbon tastes i i love bourbon and i love rye and i love the flavors that they have and i don't want to dilute them with something else but that's just me Mm -hmm. and and i don't and, and because me because of my personality or, or whatever like comes across like a, i'm not judgmental about it if you like that stuff that's cool i'm not like oh my god right. you like finish but, but you have I a just, brand and you have an identity and you're not gonna go that direction i'm not chasing okay. after anything that i i don't feel true about you know mm-hmm. it's like there's what's the point it's like we've gotten here to this wonderful place where we have no investors there's no pressure there's mm-hmm. no, we're not publicly traded company. There's no board. There's no, no shareholders. No nothing. You, you have like what two people that make a decision? There's and that's two it. people, man. We're fucking free. Just what is cool. We just like I said earlier. If it just stayed like this, man, it's cool. You know, it's like I was talking to a distributor and they wanted me to do a national contract. I'm like, gotta be free, man. You know, mm-hmm. just gotta live my life the best I can. I'm not going to have you bring me down with your rules. <laughs> so there, there's, there's a very libertarian vibe that seems to exist in, in what you're saying. We won't go too far down that. Um, you said no finished products. Have you, ex- have you thought about doing something that is not traditional charred American oak? You know, like, because there's French oak and there's Mizunara and there's all these uh, chinkapin and all these other things. Have you thought about I, I other ha- oaks? I, I haven't because I just, I mean... There's just no time to think about like really getting mm-hmm. creative like that right now. Just trying, just so what I hear we're is just we're just yet. trying to do, 
Yeah, we're just doing. Uh, by the way, I mean it's it's like mm-hmm. I mean, but who knows? Maybe one day I will fucking blend rum and bourbon. I don't. I don't know. Just see what it's like. You're like, oh, that's gross. Never mind. What? That was a terrible idea. What is it? It's is it um, bourbon and rye is already being blended. So you 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 you've already got that market space has been taken by the the. Um, well, bourbon was already <laughs> been blended, and I kind of did okay there. So you know, <laughs> like, right? Who knows? You right. know, I mean, who, who may, I think probably the next thing I would do is blend the two ryes that were, you know, when we come out with the malted rye and the bottle, mm-hmm. when they're both established, maybe see what a blend of those two would be like. Mm-hmm. And I mean, bl- blending, there's a ton of future, I think, in, in blending in North America. You see, a, uh, you know, there, there's a, there's a couple of websites that they started off as a website and now they're finding craft distillers and they're blending craft distillers together. I think blending is sort of taking off. Right. And so, I think you're part of that, like the the fact that your your identity was based off of blending bourbon yeah. barrels together to create a unique expression, whether it be uncut, unfiltered, or the younger, or uh, you know any of the the things that you're doing. But Man, younger younger is the hardest. The hard you said it's the hardest. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, get that taste like that with four year cast strength, no water, like real cast strength, not phony definition no time attacks determination cast strength like actual no water ever right that's why by the way that's why i chose uncut unfiltered because uncut means no water added ever it's it's an absolute term uh yeah dude that's it's hard uh i like i said the first month was okay but it's definitely i like the way it is better now well obviously mine is not the first month because you know it, it's 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 really really good um, I don't know that my expectations were high or low on it. They were probably high because, you know, I've had a number of your offerings. And so then uh, you kind of, uh, you keep raising the bar on yourself and it sort of sucks because, yeah. you know, then like to be just standard, you know, like you could have a standard appreciation of uncut, uh, the younger because uncut unfiltered and because small batch, and because single barrels, there, there's people straight, that like uncut know, the younger great. better because it has no, no oak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't get a ton of oak on it myself, but I also try not to get too deep into tasting notes. I just try to tell people like I like it or I don't like it because yeah. it feels. I, I don't have the authority to say those things. Like, oh, I get all these other flavors that are in here. Um, like, I only do it with uncut, so so people kind of mm-hmm. have an idea. Like, you know, well, I mean, my, you taste enough whiskey, you get to be the authority. Like, you're you're, well, you're the guy who's creating the blend. You get. To I say can't it. do these things where it's like twelve hundred. You know, it's like I try to give people like. You know, is it spicy? Is it candy? Mm. Is it oaky? Just so they have an idea of what it's going to be like. It's gotten better doing it as the reels. When I was really sitting there thinking about it, writing out the description with pictures, I was like, oh, then Instagram was like, if you post a picture, you're wasting your time. I was like, cool, I'll do it. I'll do it this way. It's easier. Right. (laughs) Do do you see you guys ever changing uh, size formats? You know, because there's this, you know, 700 ml in the rest of the world. 750 is North America, but we've seen some 700s like sneak into the United States. Like, do you think this is a thing that's going to happen or you think we're going to stay where we're at? Well, I, I think for the U.S., I think if you're a U.S. brand, primarily in the U.S., you'll be 750. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, obviously probably scotches, you know, you'll start seeing them all in 700 now that's an approved or for anything, you know, cognac, vodkas that are bottled overseas. Things like that. I think that's where it makes sense. I think, I, and, and I may be wrong, but I think that when Jack Daniels did their, um, 
their their most recent the bonded and then the the malted mash bill or whatever they did their two like special offers. I think they're both seven hundred mls, but it's sort of that. Like if you go to a, a gas station, you pick up a Kit Kat bar, and it's like thirty three percent less fat. It's because they made the Kit Kat thirty three percent smaller, right? Right. Like, is this a thing where we combat pricing by decrease, oh stealth, stealth inflation? Price? Right. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I mean, hopefully not. Uh. But I do know that Jack Daniels, a lot of that stuff, like when the the company that I deal with for liquor bottles. When when I was asking them how we do this, they're like, "Oh, we do it for Jack Daniels." And there's all these Jack Daniels products you can't get in the U.S. Right. And so you never know if those bottles were originally created for some other thing in the just European them. market. And they're like, "Oh shit, we can release them here now too." You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my immediate assumption was is is with a with an operation that size, they're just testing the market. They're like, "Can we get away with doing fifty less mLs per bottle?" Because if you're Jack Daniel well, size, let me tell you if you something. run that 50 less, like that's a huge if you're saving. Jack right? Daniel size, that law was what? How many months old is it? Six? They something can't move like that fast. They're big, big, giant steamship, man. For them to like try to get 700, bo- like they, it, it, it had to have been something they were going to bottle, and it was a right. package that was created for the European market, and they said, oh hey, that that's my. That's what I unless suspect. they're the reason why the law changed, right? Like, are they the reason? Are they the lobby that created it so they can save? Like, that's a high volume, right? I would say that it would be more like Diageo would have done it because they mm-hmm. have such a vast amount of foreign product. Like, I mean, and being able yes, to unify yes, across Jack all Daniel nations a lot, great, you know. Yep. But if you go and look at if you if you search brands that do more than a million cases a year. Mm-hmm. globally yeah sure there's only jack daniels and jim beam and bullet and like uh makers mark as far as bourbons but we do whiskeys it's like you know hennessy sells more nine liter cases than jack daniels right. uh, like there's all this stuff that you don't even think about that you know it's probably all those guys that are like hey why do we got a bottle 750s for the US market when globally we're doing 700s, you know? And so Be- being able to like unify across the globe has Yeah, I mean I can tell savings. you Yeah, I can tell you the people that come have experiences with these big brands like Brown Foreman and Diageo and Saz Buffalo mm-hmm. nothing can happen that fast. Every like for them to come up with a package it's turning 700 yeah, is like man, that's like two years. <laughs> I mean, yeah. look, they're just Jack Daniels is just now coming out with all their like you know super premium brands like five years into the into the thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you know what I mean. It's but they'll also be able to eat those premium brands if the market does collapse because they've got the volume to consume it. You know, they won't get hurt by that. Oh no, but I'm just saying, like you know, yeah. yeah. The, the, you, you can tell how far behind they are. Yeah. yeah like they, you've got like real, real craft. They can react, you know, kind of turn on a dime. And then when you get to like mid range producers, they're maybe a little bit behind if you needed to, but they're probably the ones I, I would challenge it that your mid range producers are probably indicating where the innovation is going to be. Well, that's, I mean, that's what I try to do. Right. And then <sighs> your craft can meet that real quick because 
their distiller looks on Instagram is like, oh shit, this is a new thing. I can make this today. It, it, it all you depends. Know? Well, yeah, like if they're making it themselves, but you got to understand too, they got to, you have to be planning for this stuff. You know, right. like if you're a non, if you're a non distilling supplier like me and you've been like, yeah, we're just going to buy inventory and everything's mm-hmm. going to be cool. And then, and we can sell four year bourbon for $85. And all of a sudden you can't. Now you gotta start contracting, trying to find someone to contract to still with. You're kind of shit out of luck because what are you gonna do? Like worst, best case scenario, come up with a two year bourbon in two years. Right. You know, I mean, I've been planning for this since 2015. <laughs> it, it sounds like you may be the like the bourbon market whisperer. Like you were like, ah, oh, see what's about to happen next. I'm gonna it's watch. Just, this. I mean, it's it's very easy because everything's cyclical, and you just, I mean, I've mm-hmm. been in the bar business for two decades now so you just kind of get an idea of, what, of what's going to happen and what's but all the what but the other thing is it, it just makes it so you're prepared mm-hmm. so what if it doesn't collapse great i mean i'm prepared if it doesn't collapse you just continue to make more money if it does collapse, well, you're prepared it's not for so it. you know he, it's not necessarily more money or less mm-hmm. you know for me anyhow it's like yeah if it if it doesn't collapse then great uncut sells as much as we as it does and right. small uh straight and uncut the younger or what they are and you know whatever it's cool and if it does collapse then we'll just pump out more straight and uncut the younger and fill that hole with those it's just right but that's yeah. where i wanted to be it's not like we're banking everything on this yeah. uh, you know it's like hey let's be i want to be as healthy as possible and able to um you know withstand any trends and then at the same time we could still give people an affordable product that is uh you know superior i mean that's the thing like when straight won two double golds that was more important to me than anything else because that's like mm-hmm. everybody can get it you know that's that's cool yeah you you've got a what would be considered a standard shelf offering that is getting high accolades and it's competing amongst its peers, you know, and, and above it's punching. Maybe, maybe a better phrase. It's punching above its weight. I mean, the thing is, and if we're to get any cheaper, it doesn't come from me. Well, it does, but it, I know what other big brands sell to distributors for, Mm -hmm. and we're not that far off. You just Mm -hmm. see their stuff for like $22 because of all the volume discounts that everybody's willing to do. And so maybe we could get there at some point. We can't get there now, but it's like, you know, well, I got it. I got that stuff to where, like, I know what things are going. And it's like, man, it was, I was very, with the 36%, and that's all that stuff, by the way, that's selling for maybe 45 to 50 cents less to a distributor than what I'm selling to. They're all 80 proof. You know, we're 92.5 proof. It's not chill filtered, mm-hmm. high rye mash bill, all that stuff. So it, I was very proud that I could, I could do that. That was cool. All right. I'm I'm at the end of my questions. I got three pages of notes that we covered most of. I got the pages All over right. here. We're at two and a half hours. <laughs> Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? No. Okay. Where where can someone go buy Smoke Wagon in an online fashion? It, it, oh, you, you have to the say. Nevada Distilling website. You know, uh, we ship to a lot of states. Um even some states like uh, Texas, you know, the, we, the guy, the online guy got the license to ship to Texas. Mm-hmm. I think the only states he doesn't ship to are the ones where it's prohibited. 
And yeah. people get mad. The, They're like, why the don't you buckles shoot of the those? Bible Belt, the Utahs and the Kentuckys of the world where, you know, you're Oregon not to because you can't it, ship to Oregon. Oregon went out of their way to send a cease and desist letter about shipping to that state. I wouldn't have called that one. That one, that one's yeah. that one throws me off a little bit. Um, so you can go there. You, you've got an obviously you've got a, a significant Instagram presence with Smoke Wagon Bourbon uh, on Instagram. Oh, hey, hey, it's Smoke Wagon Whiskey now because you oh, know. Sorry, Smoke Wagon. That is true. I I found somewhere where it was still referenced as Smoke Wagon Bourbon. It may be on your website. I don't remember where like it's supposed to be that, and it didn't go to the right place. But it is Smoke Wagon Whiskey. That is a correct oh, statement. I had to I'll change go. it for the rye. I'll, I'll I mean, the bourbon still called Smoke Wagon Bourbon. So right. Um, fantastic uh, products. You're thank a, you. Appreciate a fantastic, it. you know, owner slash ambassador slash you know face of the brand um you know from from the beginning uh where we kind of pick up the story originally of that situation with that particular single barrel and (laughs) i I didn't i didn't ask the question about uh you know are there more single barrels that are coming because i'm sure Uh, you get that question on a regular basis well Um, year well in a few years you know it's much easier to get to a point where we can have really open the open the faucet for uh straight and uncut the younger versus um and, and how many more people too. can you please by having straight i'm not and gonna the i'm not gonna do five-year barrel picks i mean right. you know i would like them to be at least seven as much as i say i'm not an age statement guy i do think it's different for barrel picks those right. are the things that i put age statements on and um well i mean you're getting into a marketplace where there are 400 other brands that are doing four five six year barrel picks yeah, and for me, you know, it's like they were so good, mm-hmm. and I I don't want it to be a situation where they come out and people are like, remember when they were good, and now they suck. Right, what a jerk. Aaron's a you don't, jerk. You don't want to go backwards. Stupid, yeah, it's dumb five-year barrel picks. Right. I mean, that was the whole thing when I did the only five-year people. want. You know, we turned off the, the barrel picks and be like, just do five years. I'm like, no, they're terrible. I've tried all of them. Here's mm-hmm. one. There was one that was good. Right. And, and, but, but you know, people don't believe you. They, they think you're just holding out on them because, you know, That's whatever. when people, like, get mad at me when I'm not in their state. They're like, why aren't you in my state? Oh, because I hate money, dude. I hate your state. It's so stupid. I'd right. rather I, I specifically not have don't like the state you live <laughs> yeah. in, right? Like, whatever you're in, wherever you are, that's the reason why. I don't like you. But I appreciate you for joining we don't, me. It's not because we don't have the inventory. Right. I, I, I appreciate you for joining me. I, uh, you know, wh- this is the thing that I came across when I started this podcast. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this for a year and I'm going to talk in a room by myself and just kind of see how it goes. And then after that, I'm going to start inviting people on and see if somebody joins. So when you send out emails, you expect like everybody to be like, nah, I'm not going to do that. Why would I waste my time? And I was I- incredibly surprised that people of your size and volume are willing to talk up to small holders, to, to, to people like me that have, you know, small followings or whatever. So I, I truly, truly appreciate hey, your man, willingness you know, to be it's here. Like, it's like, uh, you know, when I was doing Zooms with bourbon clubs uh, during COVID, you know, sometimes they have 20 members or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're like, we can't believe you're doing this. We're nobody. I was like, well, first of all, nobody's nobody. Right. It all, it all adds up. It all adds up. It's, uh, I think it's important. And, and we've been doing it for two and a half hours. So obviously... I enjoy it, you know. It's a right. good time. Fucking talking about myself for two hours. Oh, boohoo, so hard, you know. And, uh, <laughs> there could be and, worse things, right? Yeah, and um, it, it's cool, you know. And and I think it's it, 
it's a good way to connect and um mm-hmm. what was the other, and it's just like whatever like i don't perceive myself as man I, you know it's like i don't know you everybody that's watching it you're all the reason that i am where like doing what i'm doing having a great time i did not have a life of privilege i had to work very hard to get here and mm-hmm. it's very rewarding and uh, i understand why it, it's just like you know i just i understand why it's all happened is because of all of you and so it's it, it's i'm never going to be in a position where like i'm too big or i'm too if i am then then maybe i should sell because i've become an asshole and right. uh, well, I mean, it, but it, but it's understandable people because you have x x amount of hours in a given day to, to to give of your time like that's just what you got and but but you're speaking to the reason why i think your brand is successful is because of that specific attitude is you know it is about connection it is about you know human interaction that's what oh, makes yeah. brown spirits fun you know like you know, you were talking earlier about vodka and premium vodka but for me at least in my college age, vodka was a, a thing that we consumed at the bar whenever we were, you know, after a specific situation. But brown spirits and specifically whiskey, it to me is more communal, more community, more friend based, more conversation based. Oh, and yeah. You, you guys sort of embody that. And so, um, like I say, just incredibly appreciative of the opportunity to talk with you. You ever come up with something you want to promote? I'm always <laughs> going to be a channel that's like, yeah, well, come on, we'll, we'll talk for another two hours. We'll we'll move into some other thing. I'll try to dig deep and find something. Uh, that's it. That's that all I got, man. Yet. If we did another one, I'd be like, hey, what's up? All right, got it. I told you all my stories. Here's the thing. <laughs> There's a degree of research that I do, and I was talking to a previous um, guest on an episode. Like, if I have to get into LinkedIn and find like a job that you had whenever you were like 19 years old, we'll talk about that. Like, we'll, we'll talk about anything here. What did I do when I was 19? I was a wait. I was a busboy and a waiter when I was 19. Well, there, there's a whole thing because I spent a lot of my college career waiting tables and being in public service, like I, I guarantee you got at least two and a half hours worth of stories whenever you're waiting tables and working in bars. They're, they're there. I don't have them because I was so stoned. I don't remember anything. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Right, I would, that. I would go, I would go to the beach and go surfing all day and then, uh, come, come in and fuck it and take no dose. So take no dose and get stoned. That was a- so, there, there we go. Well, there, there, there's, there's more to talk about. We'll, we'll get that in there. There's, I there's remember no one, one time. And... One time, I was like, "I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna get high at work." And my boss was like, "Don't ever come here stoned again." I was like, "I, I'm not. This is the one time." But it was <laughs> the day that the, the day that you're not stoned. He's like, "Don't be in here stoned." Like, oh, that was why I loved, I uh, loved it so much because the it it just woke me up, and then all of a sudden it mm-hmm. didn't. I was like, "Well, fuck this." I can sit around and stare at a cloud sober. I don't need to. <laughs> I liked it because it made me all like, woo. Like, yep. you know. <laughs> yep. And then we grow up to whiskey. You know, we, 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 we shift into that concept. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to jump, dump you off. We're going to do an all outro right. here. Like I said, I appreciate you being here tonight. My man. pleasure, man. Thanks for this, having so. me. Yeah. Thank so you much. everybody that joined. I appreciate it. I hope they're yep. still there or people that watch it in the future. Yeah, there'll, there'll, there'll be a few more that'll listen and watch than what joined tonight. But hey, you know, we no had problem, a good time. Man. So 
Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for tuning in for this offering of the Embellished Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you have to be consuming this on. Leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media, Twitter or Instagram using Embellished Pod and give me a follow so you can keep up with what's going on here. I can be found at www.embellishpod.com with all of my links, accounts, contact details. I'll be back again next week with another new offering for you. So until then, cheers and thanks for hanging out.